My name is Will Spencer, and you're listening to the Renaissance of Men podcast. I'm off this week for Christmas, but I've still got a gift for you. The audio recording of my recent YouTube live stream with three young men I've been very blessed to get to know, and I think you will be too. Please welcome Mike, John, and Joe, a.k.a. the Iron Disciples. You are the Renaissance. Masculinity is cringe. Yep, I said it. Not masculinity in itself, of course. That is godly. But the dialogue about masculinity has become undeniably cringe. I'm talking about Tate's Bugatti's and Rolo's vasectomies. Aaron Rodgers does ayahuasca with Solbra's crystals. And Carnivore Aurelius promotes flat earth. Jordan Peterson has even been spotted wearing a suit with his own signature on the back while signing off on Dave Rubin's eugenics babies. Dana White says we should be drinking Bud Light, and Travis Kelsey sports a Pfizer Band-Aid while acting as Taylor Swift's latest handbag and pretending that makes him manly. Need I say more? It's also tiresome, but it shouldn't be surprising, because as Eric Hoffer said in his book The Temper of Our Time, quote, Every great cause begins as a movement, becomes a business, and eventually degenerates into a racket. If you ask me, we're degenerating into the racket stage, although most of the public is probably just awakening to the movement stage. And that's the problem. Now, it wouldn't be a problem at all if these men and more put in the one detail that each and every single one of them will conspicuously leave out. Christ. Who wasn't just a man, but the man, as in the God-man. One of the things I've learned over these past years is that if, as Doug Wilson says, masculinity is the glad assumption of sacrificial responsibility, which I agree with, then you have to root that idea squarely in the Father, the sacrifice of His Son, and the Holy Spirit. And yet the dialogue about masculinity wants to put it anywhere but there, which is why it disappears into its own navel of materialism and becomes cringe. It's hard to miss it today and this will definitely not be the last time you hear me talk about this. Thankfully, I'm not the only one navigating these waters. A lot of men who were once swimming in the red pill-slash-manosphere world are seeing that all's not right in Guyville, and they're making their way towards the exits while considering what, if anything, is worth hanging on to. Which brings me to my guests this week, my friends Mike, John, and Joe, from the outstanding Iron Disciples podcast. Well, they're sort of guests. You see, we recorded a live stream last Thursday night on YouTube, our third one, and we had such a good time, I thought I'd put it out as a standalone podcast for you to enjoy this holiday weekend. The guys do a bit of intro of themselves during the episode, which saves me a bit here on the front end, but the thing that might not be obvious right away is that they've all been good friends and brothers to me. We've exchanged countless supportive text messages back and forth, with brothers praising each other, and I think our rapport will come across in the conversation. Plus, with their focus on faith, fitness, and fidelity, you can consider the Iron Disciples podcast and group as having my personal Will Spencer seal of approval. In our conversation, we discussed the origins of the Iron Disciples, being trapped in the red pill, getting good at telling the truth, Christian men in the manosphere, how people hide from themselves, masculine cults of personality, and finally, discovering your anointing. If you've enjoyed the Renaissance of Men podcast in 2023, thank you. This will be the last interview episode of the year, and I'll be doing a solo episode next week. 
If you'd like to help the podcast grow, you can do so by leaving a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or a five-star rating on Spotify. Plus, share this episode or another one of your favorites with a friend. The Renaissance of Men podcast is proudly sponsored by Reformation Coffee, providers of fine coffee beans hand-roasted by Pastor Brandon Lansdowne and his family in Springfield, Missouri. It's officially the end of the Christmas shopping season, and time has basically run out to get your gifts for everyone on your list. But there's still no better gift than kingdom-building coffee, even if it arrives after Christmas. Which is why you can go to ReformationCoffee.com and order one of their four signature roasts, or go with a sampler if you want to try them all. You can also subscribe to Reformation Coffee year-round by signing up for regular coffee delivery. And when you do, enter the code SUBFREE to get one free 12-ounce bag of coffee with your new subscription. Yep, that's right. When you sign up for the gift of coffee delivery, you get free coffee on the house. Again, go to ReformationCoffee.com for more and get your fresh roasted beans delivered just in time for New Year's. And for your Christmas enjoyment, please enjoy this stirring and brotherly conversation with my guys, Mike, John, and Joe, otherwise known as the Iron Disciples. We're live. We're live. All right, guys. Thanks for uh, thanks for jumping in, doing this live stream. Excited to do like a combo live stream podcast with uh, with my friends, the Iron Disciples. Right Test- on. Some, the, the new tech of StreamYard that allows for this. Do you, new- do you normally go live on your channel? No, I don't. I, I've thought about it. I thought about doing more frequent live streams. Like I would do solo podcasts on my on my audio for a while, but I found it so difficult just sitting here like talking to myself. <laughs> so, so if I want to do that, maybe I'll do live streams and then release those. So this is a good experiment for me. Yeah, right on. Not all of us are like freaking can just talk for five hours. Like yeah, the monologue ability. That's I can do that. <laughs> this is a serious thing, man. You got to have like 750 megs of caffeine and just go crazy. Even though like I Rush Limbaugh's or Ben Shapiro, they just <laughs> sit and look at the camera for like three hours talking about politics. And like, not blink, dude. He's just like staring <laughs> dead into the, I don't know how he does it. They don't even breathe. They just like talk for three hours straight, just off the top of their head. I, I don't know. I don't know that I can do that. I can talk to people, but like just to be able to talk like improv into a camera alone, I, I don't know that I can do that. It is weird. Probably have a little bit of schizophrenia. You gotta do it on, on your on your podcast though. Not live, but when you release your single episodes, you're kind of doing that. That's true. I, I I write in. I usually I, I write and read the episode, read the monologue. So I write that. Oh wow. Time. Wow. Oh, I yeah. I could oh. tell that. I could tell that right. I listened to first. I mean, like, I've listened to a bunch of your stuff, but I actually went on to Spotify to listen to the Rachel Wilson. And, mm-hmm. like, his writing is great. The entire introduction. Yeah, everything. Yeah, the introduction I was like, oh, my God. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, That's <laughs> my brain. That guy can write. <laughs> I actually really appreciate that because I've been trying to figure out how to streamline my production process. And it's like, that's a, it's a big time investment because a lot of podcasts, you know, they'll launch into the thing and say, okay, now tell everyone about yourself. And I always find that to be really awkward. And people do that for me. Like, what am I supposed <laughs> to say right now? So I started out doing that, writing those intros so that I didn't have to do that awkward question for my guests so that I could introduce them before they come on and we could just start the conversation instead of this awkward kind of thing. But like, it's a lot of it. It's a lot of effort. Yeah. But yeah. Um, it's cool to know that it's, it's worth it. I mean, I, I think it is, but is it for the listeners? 
Oh yeah, yeah I love it. Great. It's very concise, you know, and you feel like you know what you're doing. I mean, you're you're smart about that kind of stuff. You want to get rid of their anxiety and just dive into this. No one's really practiced at giving their mini bios. It always kind of sucks right. a little bit anyway. <laughs> exactly right. And that's how I feel. It's like I, I did I did I nail that when I did my own little mini bio? I don't know that I leave something out. Like Was I it had weird? a sandwich for lunch and I slept kind of crappy last night. I mean, uh, my parents <laughs> yeah. were okay, so let's talk about it. You know, right. <laughs> How you doing today? I'm fine. <laughs> Tell us about yourself. Like I was born a number of years yeah. ago. Right. So spare all that. Well, now to be super awkward, like tell people about the Iron Disciples podcast, because I'm going to oh, give my right. intro as part of the audio. But like for the people who are watching on my channel who don't know who you guys are, like let's intro, intro your podcast first. And maybe you guys also. That'd be great. Uh, you want to start, Joe? go around in a circle uh we started off having bible study on saturdays my brother and i with some coffee and we just read the bible together and it grew we met mike at the gym my brother and mike were training at the same gym and they both like you know magnetized to each other and then mike started to come over and then the group kind of like just took off and mm -hmm. uh then Mike wanted to start a podcast, so we did that. We went to Miami. We met the uh, we. <clears throat> what the was podcast that? Podcast was like an extension. Myron. It was, yeah. And we were in Miami, and we were going to meet Myron at some club at, in Miami. Confession, and, yeah. confession fit, yeah. We and then we were like three in the morning eating like uh, some breakfast burritos, and Mike's <laughs> like, "Dude, we should start a podcast." And I was like, "All right, so long as you know what you're doing, I will, we will show up." <laughs> <laughs> and we we started off and basically my brother writes bible notes which are awesome we deep dive into scripture we kind of go through like the hermeneutics the culture of the time mm. you know who were these people during when they wrote this these documents and kind of get an idea of like a little time machine for going back and seeing how it relates to these people and get a, a deeper you know more cohesive contextual story for you know what we're reading and give the guys this kind of research ability when they do read the Bible, whether we start off in Matthew, but wherever they end up going, they can kind of use those same tools to like dive a little deeper and extract more meaning, you know, from this ancient 2000 year old document, which is, uh, which is what we try to get guys to do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I would say, um, exactly what Joe said. Like when we started the Bible study, Joe and I had read through the Bible probably three times. And we were getting to that point where there was like a general concept of the story and like getting a timeline and starting to see a cohesive structure in the Bible. And um, it was a very subjective approach. Like I'd read it and sort of the way most people would probably open up the Bible is they read it and they understand it from their perspective. And so after Joe and I started doing the Bible studies together, we started to understand there's an objective approach that allowed us to get a lot more out of the Bible reading. And that actually was something we were wishing we had in church for a long time right um and we were going to protestant churches getting a lot of ted talk like uh you know preaching experiences which were great and they helped a lot and i love them no judgment for that but um so you know it gave us that that's as god leads you and teaches you more about what a living word actually is yeah. um he gave us he finally like it was wonderful because we've always wanted friends and brothers that weren't like school friends you know the guys that you could really share um, your heart with that un that had sort of a background of common interests and we were we would pray for it but it wasn't constant we kind of gave up on it kind of like you know what if if it happens it happens kind of just reading our bible and praying every day and then god brought those people to us as we reached out and and it's been probably going on like a year and a half 
no know, maybe two years two years, two years. September, I think so. yeah, yeah two years yeah it's over two years and it's been great you know you, we've had to learn what it means to disciple to be accountable um to take ourselves out of our shoes and understanding what we think we people need and start to exercise those muscles of of uh investing in somebody and listening to their needs and having the holy spirit lead you in a group which you know for the first year we had no understanding of that whatsoever and mm. so the iron disciples really is that we've learned how to to sharpen each other's iron and, and be accountable and, and study with one another and and be reminded of uh how awesome god is to have a core like you can have that i mean that's kind of our message to most of these guys that listen to us it's like you can have that too that's kind of why mike wanted to start the podcast because we all noticed how lonely we were in the world you know had a strong relationship with christ knew that he was the king of kings knew that he had redeemed our lives but to connect with other men and have growth happen that was something that blew us all away so that's why we try to encourage other men with this podcast like hey guys you don't have to be the smartest guy you don't have to be a scribe you don't have to be a theologian you don't have to be like some crazy you know because i think the challenge is like do i know enough to be able to connect and men always want to be in that like uh they want to respond with service but sometimes the service is just connecting and learning and listening and and trying to um just connect with your brothers you know and, and that's what we want to show so there's less lone wolves out there and more, you know, family men, you know. Yeah. Amen. I'll probably just Amen. add to it that I think I changed the like kind of motto of what we do is um not not we are I'd say our main mission is to help men grow uh, spiritually and then we also have a physical aspect. We're all into the gym, we push men to grow physically. And then I say challenging the status quo of the modern church is a big mm-hmm. thing we like to do. We like to bring up kind of hard topics and push the buttons a little bit. We might get it wrong. And we welcome being challenged back, but I think it's just good to have people kind of pressing back at some of the modern ideas that are floating around in the church, especially feminism and whatnot. So, which is why Mike has a mustache now. <laughs> pushing That's back, why. he's pushing back. I'm pushing back against culture. Do you guys do that in the churches that you're a member of, or with the men with the men that listen? You kind of teach them what to push back on in the environments that they're in. Cause this is something that I completely relate to by the way, but I'm just curious how it shows up, you know, in, in what you do in the discipleship. Cause it's a big question. Like I, I, I have a series of tweets that I want to post and I'm really debating about it, sort mm. of explaining why we're going to see over the course of 2024 and 2025, I think we're going to see a number of evangelical churches explode over feminism. Like, I just, I don't see it as an avoidable process, but what I don't want to be is accused of cheerleading churches exploding, right? Yeah. I, I don't, I'm not, so like, how does it show up for you guys? That's, that's awesome, dude. <laughs> like, uh, I think <clears throat> for us, like, um, it was a slow awakening period. I like explosions. Yeah. I wish you was, <laughs> well, so it was do I, but yeah, I mean, you can't help it. Sometimes you get explosions, man, the that's way right. it is, but, um, it was kind of a slow awakening for 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 us for for joe and i mike was a little further ahead on the idea of um like feminism in the church say like red pill philosophy mm-hmm. um joe and i were more um we were unsatisfied with the church we didn't know there was like a superficial piety problem that we were sick and tired of running into oh, you know got it. um the holy rollers that were cookie cutter christians that did not have the balls to go seek out their unique anointing and and just be themselves in christ like there wasn't enough of that it was it was, it was just kind of insipid after a while and, and we got a little sick of it. we Good didn't know word. how to encounter it yeah 
we didn't know how to encounter it so we just kind of disconnected so now i would say the way that we're critical of the church um in terms of seeing it progress is um two things mainly come up for me personally i can only speak for myself is is the need to wake the church up from its narcotic stupor with self-persecution mm. um putting the kids first you know not buying the kids all these nice things you know kids education um what we would think persecution is is not getting you know like tortured it's it's not buying all of this excess crap you know kind of right taking the American dream and ripping it out of the church because the church dream is not the American dream. So I would say that's probably the, the biggest thing that I see outside of, um, you know, some of the red pill feminism well, I think stuff. He's more asking like, how, how are we combating it? Oh, how are we with the podcast? Yeah, I mean, like, yeah. Well, like, well, oh, how, does, how does that show up? Like, it, like we can, I think we all agree that a lot of the, um, a lot of the stuff that's happening in the American evangelical church today is anti is non-masculine and is anti-masculine which are not necessarily the same thing and so like it, yes there are a lot of men that are talking about it and i think that's really important and i think one of the big questions that i struggle with is how do i go about doing something about it considering like these are explosive topics so i'm, I'm curious mm. because i'm always iterating mm. on how to do this like i have my own ideas and my own approach and i know other guys I do would, as well so i would, I'm say, the, I would yeah, say the big thing we've done is just start our own thing yeah um because i think a lot of guys we like i was the one to like you just go to some mega church you maybe try out a small group there you never really connect and it was just kind of eh. so we started our own thing we like pulled ourselves out of the normal church atmosphere and um i would say and then kind of do it how we think should be done um in terms of teaching and then uh and i wouldn't even necessarily say like i, I don't want us to claim we're like teaching necessarily. Mm -hmm. Sure. But uh, so that's one thing, like a lot of the guys in our group, they would when we first met them, they were they would claim to be Christian, but they weren't attending a church or anything. Mm -hmm. So they're just disconnected Christians, basically. And so just giving them a, a resource in, I think, is big. And then I would say the other way I personally do it, like my buddy Dave, we vet we've been trying out churches and I think just not falling into those mega like just not participating in the monitor like you're not going to go up there and upset a mega church so you got to like pull your resources out of that go to these smaller churches that, Is that are a dare actually, actually doing dare something you. like we we tried in a new church out last or two weeks ago and i left thinking like okay this is this is good like i was really impressed with uh that church and you know it's a small one that you're probably never going to just find back um searching so we like a right. buddy pulled us at the gym so right on dude well, that's good. I mean, that's, that's, that's where the battle is. And I, and I think there's a big, there's a conversation, but it, okay. It's taking place on multiple levels. Like there's the, there's the conversation on social media, Twitter, YouTube, et cetera, about like the Moscow mood. If you guys saw all that, like what, what, uh, what Doug Wilson, their group is doing up in, up in Moscow with trying to put forth a, what do they say? A more muscular, angular Christianity, I think is what the article was saying. So it's happening at that sort of top down level. And it's happening in, happening in individual men's lives, Christian men's lives. But it seems like between that top level of like the high level conversation and then the the one on one or with groups of friends, like how do we do that middle, that middle conversation? And that's why I think we're going to see a lot of a lot of turmoil in the next in the next year or so. Is I think that there are going to be a lot of men that are inspired by 
what uh, Doug Wilson, his crew are doing. And there are going to be a lot of individual men that are watching podcasts like yours or part of your group or, or who knows what they're listening to. And they're going to start going into churches and they're going to be saying like, hey, I'm carrying this masculine confidence now as a Christian man and I have scriptural support behind it. You know, this, this meek and mild stuff has got to go. And we have the, we might call a cultural mandate given how American culture is kind of burning down and churches are going to be like, yeah, no, we don't do that. We don't do that patriarchy thing around here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. I actually had, I actually had one of my clients was talking to his pastor and he lives in a rural area and he was talking about Doug Wilson and, and patriarchy. And the pastor said, yeah, Doug Wilson and patriarchy, like that's far right. Like a wow. pastor of a Christian church called these things far right. I'm like, well, first of all, the pejorative of far right is like, is just silly. Like when you, you watch MSNBC, but like, that seems to be the response of like, no, we don't do, we don't, we don't do that around here. That stuff that was the world for 2000 years, that's extremism, right? We're much <laughs> yeah. more enlightened now, right? So the question over the next couple of years will be, how do we go about bringing these, these ideas forward into our church communities? Yeah, that's so good, man. I think um, that is kind of the grassroots thing we've been doing and it's slow because there's a lot of fear in the church there's a lot of yeah. you know like if you were to sit down and educate everybody like they'd have to sit there and listen to it and it's not something that can happen really quick i believe the lord is working but mm -hmm. i don't know it just seems like it's like we are just people to people kind of dudes so our podcast yeah. is like you know well it's comfortable too like people most people are conflict averse a lot of this stuff's mm -hmm. going to take a lot of conflict and uh mm -hmm. and then it's also going to take like the i think the american church very like i'm not going to ever this would be the only time i'm probably going to use like capitalism in the negative but the church i think is very capitalistic mm -hmm. in how it operates um it operates like a business in most cases like i watched the mega church in our town literally just like it's like a blob just sucking in every church on its way they mm -hmm. got like, campuses now because they just keep buying all these little churches and so you can buy like, churches yeah, the, I think these, you know, the problem is these small little churches, they can't keep the finances together. So then the big church that has, you know, 50 million in assets just plucks them up and then they got a new campus now in this part of town. Oh, they buy they buy the building. They don't buy yeah. like the congregation. It's like you can buy a church. Kind of, <laughs> like a lot of the pastors stay on, you know, they're kind of oh. like a pastor there. Like I'm sure they're buying it under the standing like our theology is close enough, blah, blah, blah. That's creepy, bro. But uh, so you see that happening. And then I think you also got the problem like, you know, people in some of the red pill spaces point out like the female is the biggest donor in these churches, which is mega churches. If you say stuff out of line, you're going to lose a giant. Like a lot of these churches are running. I, I remember the church that I went to before I moved to Florida. You know, they give their budget. They're running red line on the budget you say stuff that's going to pull 10, 20% of your donors, like they're going to be broke. Yeah. So they're not going to step out of line. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a huge mistake. It's a huge, a huge mistake to, to have put pastors at the mercy of tithing and tithing being tied to politics and politics being so left leaning compared to 60 years ago. And so you have these pastors that are kind of like, in, in, enslaved in a way to towing the political line and you know the word of god is the word of god and if you're censoring it like you'll have to i guess you'll have to give an account for that but if your whole mo is to avoid offending the women uh you're gonna that i mean okay sure so let's say that you can you can describe a, a circle of like these are all scriptural topics but like 
unless you're careful, that starts sliding into woke very slowly or very quickly, right? If, because if your whole idea is we're not going to say anything to offend the women and they decide to move the Overton window to like, well, what we want to start hearing about is like, I don't know, social, just, social justice issues like refugees or immigrants or whatever, right? Then it's like you start running into a, some problems there because that's a, that becomes a very slippery slope that moves very fast if you're calibrating your message to make women happy. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and, and what are those women's influences? Are they agreeable? Are they watching MSNBC? Are they imbibing feminism and Cosmo? And where, uh, what are their husbands like? Oh, it's, it's super dangerous. I, I acknowledge the truth of all of this mm -hmm. and it's super dangerous. You know, we talked to, is Amy last week? Rachel. Rachel. Sorry. Rachel Idiot. Wilson. We suck. Names, names, bro. But, you guys um, run a podcast? Yeah, yeah, no, bro. I don't know why I'm here. Half she was time. a female. She had no blonde idea. hair. No, I, <laughs> um, very smart woman. Like I was mind blown by the history because of the way yep. that she kind of goes through it so well and sequentially. And she goes through and like the next idea I had or question, she was already on her way to answering it. And just what an awesome resource, just straight ahead, like, you know, without kind of weaving in any religion or God into it, she shows you like the state of affairs and where it came from. Something that I know you're very familiar with too, Will, and a lot of the well, the red pill, red pill means truth. So, I mean, technically you should be, what is truth? So mm -hmm. what is the history? What is the history, right? How do we get here? And um, she said something that I thought was really cool because after she's saying all this and you're kind of getting your mind blown, you're like, holy crap, this shit really happened. And it's like a serious, like off a front, you know, from the top down because it came top down. You know, a lot of it, you think that all this stuff kind of boiled up grassroots, but it did not. Like the women wanted nothing to do with it. Right. Um, initially. And uh, so neither did the men. Like they mm -hmm. wanted nothing to do with it. You start to see like this master plan starting to peek its way out. And you think, and she brought up like spiritual warfare and like the battle between good and evil. And, um, you know, within the Red Bull community, within all this stuff, like it's easy to, you know, go after that rabbit and forget what you were after. You know, mm -hmm. you just go chase that rabbit. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think there's a lot of that going on. And it's all related, you know, and depending how big your brain is, like Rachel's brain is extra big. So she's able to do that. Your brain is extra big. So they're able to do that. <laughs> you know, some guys, they can't like they'll look at the red pill and they'll get like, you know, I'll stay in that rabbit hole and, the, and then, then they will come back out again for a good while, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, I what we have lately been thinking about is the spiritual warfare, you know, how to, you know, fasting more prayer. Mm -hmm. and, and like incorporating some of these, like, you know, what, what Jesus used to fight off the devil. He went on a fast and recited scripture and that's what he did, mm -hmm. you know? And, um, besides knowing the history, which is so important because I think the cognitive distance is like all time high, you know, if you go like you nitpick one thing or the other and, it, and then it like, you end up kind of like sort of disillusioning and, and coming to a state of like, Oh, you know, I, I had the point, but it's like not really the point. It's a point of point. You know what I mean? That yep. builds up to it. And I see that problem happening for a lot of guys out there, you know. It's and it like is a strong spiritual. Man. Well, yeah. It's like it's a, the Joe's right. It is a point, you know, and us being men, we were like, okay, that's an issue. Let's let's deal with it. But like it's a failure to prioritize yeah. and and be like, well, that's it is a point, but it's like 20th on the list, mm -hmm. you know, and like that self persecution of fasting, like. No one in the West does that stuff. Fasting. If there was, 
yeah, right before Jesus went into his ministry, it was 40 days of fasting before he got down and started mm-hmm. showing himself to everybody. Um, it's basic stuff. It's not like going to make you feel great like a TED Talk and, you know, people flying from the ceilings and whatever you see in uh-huh. some of these mega churches. But, you know, it is what's going to move the congregation. It's the same old tools. I also had the thought when you were talking about, um, you know, this... Th- trying to appeal to people and then when you're appealing to people that that group of people the women or whoever it might be they start to run things right so it's it's like how how do you get over that well you stick to the truth um i think about that verse or that passage in in uh, the gospels where jesus approaches the disciples and he's like you're gonna have to eat my flesh and drink my blood and all the disciples are like whoa bro that's a really tough teaching and a bunch of them bounced Mm-hmm. And it's like, we have to be ready to tolerate that because our yeah. barometer of success and what qualifies the church is not how much money we're making or how many subs we have or adapting to this demonic algorithm of success. It's fasting, it's prayer, it's old school stuff that's going to update the church. Mm-hmm. Um, it's discipleship. You know, yeah, yeah. I think so a lot of... You, go ahead. All right. I was going to ask you, like, um, you know, being a part of the manosphere for as long as you have and also being a man of God and kind of seeing the where. And I know there's a difference between the manosphere and the, what do you say, Mike, all the time? Oh, it's red pill manosphere. Red pill manosphere. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, They're not the same. Right. Like, um, where do you see things going? I personally have become a little bit sort of gag reflex to it. Just a little tiny bit. You know, I'm like, <laughs> yeah, let's like, get into that. Cr- what, what's cringe about this masculinity stuff going on? Well, I, I need to know that I was formally kicked out of the Manosphere. I was, <laughs> I was banished, but the president of the Manosphere himself, Anthony Johnson, formally kicked me out of the Manosphere and, and slanders me on Twitter constantly, right? So, like, I am not part of the Manosphere, according to the president of the Manosphere itself. So, from the, high, from the highest office, I am not part of the Manosphere. And, that guy. <laughs> and for over a year. Well, no, that's fine. Like, it's, it's completely fine because the whole case that i've been that i've been making since then or since around then and that's that's why i wanted to title this podcast what i did is that like i discovered i learned from myself that once you talk about masculinity without christianity it turn it it disappears into its own navel very quickly because you're whatever you're doing as a man if you're only serving yourself then it it just dies if you're if you're if you're running up the scoreboard because I want to get another zero on my bank account, or I want to drive the Bugatti, or I want to get the you know I want to you know get the five hundredth notch or whatever it is, right? If you're trying to run up the high score, then like okay, congratulations, like you did it, and your life looks your life looks pretty empty, right? Masculinity, what it means to be a man, ultimately has to be put into service of a, a, a your wife a woman and children, or it just, it dies on its own in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. And that is, and you can't do that evolutionarily. Like you can't say like a man should, you know, with, with Evo psychology, like the guys try to do that, but they can't actually get there because evolution is like the survival of the fittest. What does it mean to survive in the post 2020 world is very different from what it was in like 2019. So again, it's just a failed ideology. So that's why exiting masculinity quote unquote for its own sake and going into christianity is the direction that things have been going in very powerfully for the past year and just masculinity without that 
in my opinion, has become completely cringe. And they've done it to themselves. Well, it is cringe. It's like pathetic. Yeah. It's like a 12-year-old's idea of being the man. Exactly. You know? The masculine, the clubhouse. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, like no girls allowed. We been there. We done that, bro. Well, you got those guys who are like, they obviously hide behind the red pill of the manosphere. It's like, they just want to point the finger and be like, ah, look at all you evil, mean feminists. And it's like, you're still don't have any agency behind it. And, you know, and then you have the other opposite guys who are just like out there being total, you know, they're dogs, you know, and they're just self-serving or they're just banging a bunch of chicks or doing whatever this worldly idea of masculinity is. And they're still ending up, both of them are empty because they don't have the purpose and the agency of what they were created to do. You're made in God's image. So you're made to do things differently than every, all the animals and all the other natural things out there. You mm -hmm. hold his signature. You're made in his image. You have to do godly things. You have to do mm -hmm. righteous things. If you want to find fulfillment, that's where it comes from. And that's not easy. Well, God's job ain't easy. Never yeah. was easy. It's probably the hardest job out there, but it comes along with that comes with the greatest fulfillment. And we yes. know that. Yeah. And that he shows us that through sacrificing himself because yeah. he loved us so much. I think one of the cringiest parts of uh, the both, I think it's the manosphere and the red pill. It, it's kind of like uh, this thing where guys, they get faked. Like as a listener, you'll be faked into thinking the guy is very truthful because he can recite a bunch of statistics, you know, mm -hmm. and, and like very pragmatically be like, here's the statistics. And, you know, all he's doing is being like a glorified computer with like some passion, a little bit of passion. Mm -hmm. But what really is masculine, what I'm refreshed by is a man who is good at telling the truth. And oh, that's amen. That is something so different than just saying, well, here's the stats and do with that what you want. Being able to get good at tell the truth is so hard. Yeah. You know, it's, it's what Christ teaches you in your devotions when you fast and you're faced to, you have to face your own hunger. You have to die to yourself. You mm -hmm. have to deny yourself. That's how you get good at telling the truth. And that is so masculine, yep. you know, because that's a guy who's in the trenches, who's suffering, but can still see the truth. He's you know, not overwhelmed by his sensorium, all of these senses of pain and anguish. He can still cut through it, man. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of the listeners, younger guys, they get faked out because they're like, oh, that guy's so smart or like destiny or, um, you know, whatever. These, these, these debaters. And they, they just kind of bring up stats. And, oh, and I see what you mean now. Yeah, because you know, like, like they, even Rolo really told us. telling the truth in a vital way that makes sense. And that's what we get from being men of faith, bro. You yes. know, serious well, shit. I, I was thinking facts are not truth. Facts, facts are the raw materials that truth is built out of. So you build yeah. a house of truth using facts, but a fact is not truth. Nope. And yeah. I think young guys don't even, they, they, they have not learned how to distinguish them because of the emphatic nature of reciting facts. Well, I remember, it's not the same thing. Yeah, I remember. You're not willing to do anything with those facts besides recite them. Like, yeah. if you're not willing to prescribe, like, some useful stuff but you know when you think about like i like which i was kind of thinking about this top masculinity is cringe and you know when you think about the main what's the main message kind of coming out of the masculine arena it's kind of the the coin term what money muscles game and frame like oh, i would say that's yes. kind of the main message and when you do like kind of boil that down it's kind of cringe <laughs> sounds cringe sounds well, like a shitty 50 it's, cent it's, rhyme it's yeah, well yeah when you really like think about you know the purpose of life especially from the Christian perspective on yes. how like 
shallow and kind of empty that is. And it also like the 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 lie I think they sell themselves is always like, well, you do this stuff to fulfill or like on your own terms, your own fulfillment. You, you stay on your mission, and then a woman comes alongside of you and helps you on your mission. Yes. And we all know they're doing those things to for the woman to get the woman. Like if we're mm -hmm. if we're gonna be honest, like yeah, the, the ends is the woman in this space not your mission yes and not right. service of god no. right like and and what is the purpose and and then ultimately what is the purpose of of the mission yeah. if the purpose of the mission is to make a lot of money or or build a legacy or whatever these things are some of those can be more noble than the others but ultimately mm -hmm. if you're if you're if even your mission as a man is is towards service of self even that can die dried out in the wilderness versus yeah. like i'm doing this to glorify god again an act of service an act of self-sacrifice mm -hmm. of pride and that's mm -hmm. a that's a pure gift and then that's how everything comes to life is mm -hmm. to do that and so masculinity that doesn't give that doesn't give its own blood let's say for others it's it it dies it literally just dies yeah it's like so much more than muscles and gains and all yeah. that because like even if you look at it from a secular approach from any man that was like a world shaker like these half these guys didn't have any of that stuff Right. You know, they didn't. A lot of them were very poor. They were educated in different ways. And another, when we brought up the earlier in the church, like, um, you know, Paul continually talks about the church being a body and mm -hmm. it, like a body full of different body parts. And he's talking Corinthians. He's like, you know, who would talk, who would the eyeball tell the, you know, the foot he doesn't need him? You know, where is he going right. if he doesn't have that? And the kind of way that we've orchestrated masculinity and like the church is like this homunculus it's like mm -hmm. giant head and face and this like it's just not a properly balanced body we give oh, extra yeah. attention to certain body parts just because they get more attention and we've put our scale on the worldly attention of man when it's like nah dude everyone needs an asshole everyone needs a large colon man you're not going anywhere without your heels you know what i mean like try yeah. doing that it's not going to be a great time your elbows good luck your body hands needs an asshole your <laughs> yeah you know what I mean? Like overabundance of assholes I mean, who don't know they're assholes. Yeah. <laughs> they are assholes. They are body assholes. part you are body of Christ, probably an asshole. Probably an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> giant large colon we've got doing on here. And I mean oh, man, that's I a mean, weird so, homunculus. But like pure. masculinity mm -hmm. is that that approach to like seeing through God's eyes and seeing that value on God's eyes through the way he does it which is not the way that we are looking at this masculinity, because I feel like that has fueled so many men, even when they go into a church or when they go into a situation, because they're using the wrong, they're using the wrong set of standards. You know, right. they're not using God's standards. They're still using like this red pill standard. When we yep. even talked to Rolo, um, it was interesting because he was going with the stats and he, I remember he chastised us very bad. He's like, you boys are, are, are trying to say what should be. I'm telling what is right now. And we're like, yeah, that's what we're doing. Like, obviously the house is burning down, but we're not out with like a piece of paper going, yep, the rafter just burned down. And yep, now the roof's going. Like mm -hmm. I'm actively trying to get water, dude, and like pour it on it. Yeah, we know it's like, there's a proper way to like get at the fire. Maybe mm -hmm. like, you know, do it, do it with some, like a firefighter would, not a crazy ass. But I think there is a good special gauge between like prescriptions and also being like, yeah, we are Christians. We are going to be looking at truth instead of just stats yeah. and way to go about it. But that. to push back, <clears throat> just so we're clear, um, for the for a lot of guys, like they don't have a good diet. 
they don't have good money management. They don't have the basic, like some basic stuff to get on in life. Um, so it's a good entry point for these guys who want to learn about the virtues, because when you think about, Hey, how do I get good at telling the truth? Because if I get good at telling the truth, I'm going to be learning that from Christ because Christ is truth. He is love. He is logos. I am going to have to experience some discipline. So I think it's becomes like a cesspool, but it's the entry point, like the money muscles game thing. It's like, and you can forget about the game, but just like being able to to make a nice temple for Christ that's responsible, eating well, working out, having some discipline that is masculine, you know, in a very, mm -hmm. in a vital way, but it's also just the entry point. It's like the first step, like think yes. about the apostle Paul, like he was on foot. He was probably very, very robust and healthy because he was working like in the church, in ministry. He wasn't, he was a workaholic for the ministry. I mean, but nowadays it's different. Like you have a bunch of guys who need to be pushed into the gym, who need to be taught diet, who need to be taught these things, but then they get fixated on it, you know? And it's like, yeah. that's my whole identity. It's like, no, dude, that's, that's just the very first step here. You need to start learning about the virtues. I heard this wonderful, uh, quote from, um, gosh, man, it was, I was getting into Rene Gernard and the, uh, scapegoat theory. Um, all this mm -hmm. amazing stuff, uh, scapegoat, and yeah, uh, Doug Wilson was talking about this recently. Like, man, like you guys are talking. I got big brains. You're reading Renee Gerard. Dude, the shit's blowing your. I'm still getting my brain wrapped around. It's been like nine months, and I still I'm studying it. But wonderful quote. I, I'm pretty sure Renee said it, but it was regurgitated by this guy. But uh, he said it this way. He said, "Rationality does not engender truth. Love engenders truth." Amen. And, and it blew me away. I was like, that's so true. And that's the problem with the, the manosphere or, or the red pill. That's the big short circuit. You know, it's like rationality is not going to engender truth for you, bro. It's that's not. Right. But right. love will. And who's the provider of love? Who is love? That's the easiest question you can answer if you're a believer. So you need to pour mm -hmm. yourself into that and allow God to pour your, himself into you. Um. So, yeah, you know, I mean. That's those are the kind of dots. It's the it's the I think it boils down to them being able to make money, you know, and excite people. So yes. they keep pushing the same buttons over and over again because they're like, oh, I know I'm going to get a response from that. And it's that killer demonic yep. algorithm coming like I need to get subs and I need to. And it just starts molding everything into a big heaping pile of crap. It cracked and me up when I heard like even um, Tate was talking about psyopsing, you know, and like he's in the red pool. He's got like the he's like at the top of the heap of like you know bugattis and, and big breasted ladies you know like he's up there and islam yeah, yeah. and, and well, islam and you see him kind of like Those guys watch the most porn i heard too oh yeah figure that one out boy so he's at the top of these cranksters man and i'm like i'm thinking to myself for a moment i'm like you know the this type of masculinity that engenders this agency you're they're still under the 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 devil is so happy with that and it's not it's like the devil is ultimately in control here when you see it he's just as happy with that type of masculinity as he is that's with right. feminized women at the end of the day when yeah, i see it right. i'm like there well, is causes there... conflict right so then they then you have perfect divide and conquer technique at at work there um mm -hmm. gosh who's the name that Rachel Wilson, she she has this intelligent word for describing this ancient ploy that governments and ruling class will do. So they'll create a problem and then they'll they'll make you pay for the solution. And mm -hmm. Satan's doing that right now. So he creates a problem between feminism and this crap like Joe just said about masculinity. And boom, now 
the masculinity can't lead and they're just doing this over and over again mm-hmm. which is what you were getting at because all you but how you started this before the podcast you were like without christianity this stuff's this not 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 making sense here because it's mm-hmm. not taking into account the battle between good and evil and that true masculinity is is virtue and love it's like that barbie yeah. movie man it's like <laughs> first scene you're like oh he's going to the beach and then it's like there's no water and there's like no sand and it just looks like what it's supposed to be but it's just not real mm-hmm. and that's the masculinity cell that they're getting you know like and there are cracks like even you see tate he is going to a higher power like even though like it's not the right one he's going to muslim but you see there are cracks within that if you have the eyes to see, you will see like yeah there's an emptiness at the top there he is not fulfilled he needs something mm-hmm. still not even if I'm not gauging whether he believes in it truthfully or not. Maybe it's just a great PR stunt for him and he's deciding to go down that route. But um, I have a question for you um, because maybe. you've been in this space for a long time and okay. I've, I've wondered about this. Can a believer, man of faith, um, who's in the space where people want to know what he's thinking, people want to know his mind, they're, they're eating up his material for whatever reason, can they get along? Is it okay in your mind for them to not express their faith on a regular basis? Or do they have to do it like once a year and, and they're good or write one book or, and they're good? Like, how does that work, man? I don't think, uh, so the question is, can a man of faith, you know, fit comfortably into the manosphere? Is that, is that what I, are you asking? Yeah. Basically, um, as a leader, and how often does he yeah. have to express his? Yeah, because I got, for instance, the Rolos or um, you know, some of these guys who declare mm. Christianity, and it's like they never freaking talk about it. Like, is that? I don't think that's okay, personally. Cor- I um, agree. I feel like you can't claim Christianity and then say, "Well, here's all the stuff going to help you." It's like taking somebody and 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 just feeding them and covering them, and then forgetting to give them the gospel. It's like, well, you took care of their bodily needs, but they're still going to go to hell. You know, it's like, well, at the end of the day, what'd you do for them? Right. Well, yeah. what, I, what I discovered is I, I don't think that um, real Christianity, like really heartfelt, regenerative, you know, justified, sovereign grace Christianity fits into the manosphere at all. And I discovered, I learned that the hard way. I didn't know, but like, if you discover as a man let's say you're not born a believer because this is, this is what happened to me. So this is the only experience that I can really relate to, but we'll say the person's really regenerate, you know, really be on a process of sanctification, really being saved and is curious and asks questions. Ultimately a man in that space, which is what happened to me, will start asking questions of these men that don't have any ability to be questioned. They believe that they are a law unto themselves mm. and you start asking questions. Well, like, what about this? Well, what about this? Like, no, I don't consider you the highest authority. I don't care how many subscribers you have. I don't mm-hmm. care how many followers you have. I cannot tell you how many men in the manosphere that I have had personal interactions with that have kicked me out of their groups, that have that, that won't talk to me, that have slandered me in private. Like, because I was the guy, not because I was ever rude or a jerk, but because I was the guy who asked them questions. I was like, well, that's interesting. Like, what? Why is that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, uh, and and I'll, I can tell. I think I can tell one story. If you, you guys remember Jack Murphy, remember him? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I was in his group, the Liminal Order, um, in in the let's see, it was summer 2020. I was looking for a men's group. This is before I started the Renaissance of Men. I, like the Floyd riots were happening, and so I was looking for a men's group to belong to because I was like, I'm here in America, and it's 
kind of exposed. I'm living alone. Like I should find men to network with. So there were a couple different groups I was considering. I was considering Ryan Mickler's order of man and Jack Murphy's liminal order. I think it's called. I ultimately went with Jack Murphy's liminal order because it had more of like a intellectual fourth generation warfare was one of the topics they were talking about. And Ryan Mickler was more like, you know, uh, axes and preparedness and stuff like that. Very different kind of approach. So I was looking for guys to talk about big ideas with. So I joined the liminal order, but I came into this group and very quickly found that it was like kind of left leaning. Like there were guys in there that were supporting Bill Clinton. I'm like, Hey guys, here we are in 2020, you know, COVID's happening. Everyone's still locked down. Like, do you know about like Epstein Island? You know that Bill Clinton flew to Epstein Island like 30 times and like people really didn't, they really didn't like it. And kind of like, I got kicked out of the group on a technicality because it's like, wait a minute, like, aren't we all masculine? Aren't we all masculine men here? Aren't we all pursuing truth? Like this is the truth, right? And so the thing is, if you truly care about truth, you will run up against men that have something to hide. And mm-hmm. I think that's what Christianity is about. It's about the pursuit of truth. And if you have men that don't have any notion of redemption, right, that have secrets in their closet, right, that are, that are, that are trying to hide their real names, because there are lots of Manosphere guys that are, they use pseudonyms. Robo Tomasi is not his real name. Jack Donovan is not his real name, right? That, like, that, like, whether they're hiding anything nefarious or not, they still have something to hide. And when you subject them, even impersonally, to light of Christianity, to the light of, uh, of sin and repentance, the light of the gospel, ultimately it makes men very uncomfortable inside and outside the manosphere and it won't be it won't be tolerated and what happened to me was that the dialogue got very christianized very quickly and i was the guy with the smallest platform so they were i became the one that they could pick on versus some other men in the space and so like i became the canary in the coal mine and so i got to watch that happen close up and so to short the short answer of your question is no i don't think a, a a truly faithful christian man who cares about the truth can exist in that space at all makes sense, I, dude. when you said the yeah. dialogue got christianized what do you, what do you mean by that so yeah so so in um i went to the 21 convention in 2020 and i th- i think michael foster was speaking there that year one year later 2021 is when i spoke on stage gave two talks and hosted two panels and did like 30 interviews and everything on in that year 2020 2021 there were six explicitly christian speakers so in the course of like a year, things got super, super Christian. And the men weren't like, like Michael Foster, me, Elliot Hulse, Arthur Kwan Lee, like all talking very much about different forms of Christianity. And so this whole Christian vibe flooded into the manosphere, which up until that point had been not about pickup anymore, which is where it came from, but red pill. And it was still about money, muscles, game and frame, right? And so you bring Christianity in there, which is talking about wives, children, yeah, right? Dude. Service of God. And it's like, we're not, no, that's not what we do around here. We're about service to self. It's like, well, you invited us in and then things blew up from there. And all those men got kind of pushed out. Like, cause, cause you have the pickup guys, like this guy, John Anthony, John Anthony was like bragging about, he was one of those pickup dudes who talked about how he'd slept with like a thousand women. Like, how do you have, how do you have a conference where you have Michael Foster speaking on stage, and then John Anthony comes up on stage after him. That 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 doesn't it's exist at all. It's yeah. weird. It's almost like there's this. Uh, you know how you get those binary splits and stuff. 
you know, like the Republicans and the Democrats. It's almost like the same thing is happening underneath the masculinity thing. You're getting these secular masculine guys. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And then you're getting the Christian masculine guys and then they're just like kind of fighting now, you know. But there's no, but there's no fight. That's that's there. Yes, mm -hmm. they're fighting, but at the same at the same token, like where do you root your masculinity? And if not made in if, China, well, I think like the right. men of the yeah. church, like we definitely. I mean, yeah, it's rough accepting truth for some of these guys because they. Yes. That's our job, you know. What I mean, like we're supposed to take the bitter pills and be like, yeah, swallow them down. All right, this is let's learn. Let's get forward on it. The other secular guys, I totally get why they don't want to hear it from us. I mean, they. They want to like, like some of the guys that you're getting like kicked off of, like they want to like portray and, uh, you know, this person that knows everything. And that's like their idea yes. of masculinity. Like there's yes. no vulnerability in their masculinity of like, oh, I'm repenting. I made a mistake. I did something stupid. I said something I didn't know about. You know, it's like, no, you, do that. you don't even, I you, don't, apologize. you don't apologize around here. It's like, great. You're going to yeah. be an idiot the rest of your life. <laughs> Live in your own yes. chamber of idiocy. Or and they want minions. They want like yes men so around them. Say, and they're dude, never gonna have yeah. good friends. They're just gonna have people backstabbing them behind their back and never gonna feel fulfilled in their friend circle or any of that stuff. Well, you yeah. know what you see? You but see, that's a bit of a derailment. But well, I'm saying the Christians, we no, you're right. shouldn't be like the guys like the Republicans and the Dems, like they're both we should be like, yeah, let's let's internalize the red pill. Like when Mike came at me with like Rolo's book, I was like, I'll read this. And I was like, boom, like, wow, I didn't know half this history that was going on. This is jacked up. Yes, I've been psyoped hard. And I didn't know it, you know, but like your subconscious does. And when you do read that information, it does turn on those bells. And that is our our job as Christian men, like you said, is be seeking truth. Well, being a being I think at a certain level of maturity, that book can do you benefit mm -hmm. and if you're not mature enough to understand how to throw out the trash and i've been drugged through the freaking mud for saying that some of rollo's book is trash to me personally because it is to me as a believing man yeah absolutely but if you were to read that book and be like 18 good luck with what that's going to do to you you know oh, in a yeah. lot of ways i read it when i was 34 so I was able to kind of read through some of that stuff and, you know, hit the garbage bin with the stuff that I thought was crap. Mm -hmm. But that's the that's the way that maturity works in your favor is you're able to do that. You know, you're able to I wouldn't set up a belief like a new believer and be like, OK, now you're going to watch Christopher Hitchens. I'd be like, no, don't do that until you have, you know, some basic foundation to be able to disseminate truth from lie, which yes. is getting good at telling the truth. But um. I, I was going to hit on that point because really pathetic thing I've been seeing a lot. These guys want to be worshipped. You know, they mm -hmm. want to have that deep devotion like a psychotic cult leader. You know, they, they you yeah. can see that like nasty crackheadedness starting to come out in them. And you see it when they're starting to like defend themselves. And like mm -hmm. what I've seen with some of these uh, debates as of late. Um, is like this preoccupation with gossip and slandering the other guy. Yep. And it's like who had sex with who and why and when and who was lying and like these really devious ways they're trying to slander each other. And I'm like, God, if you're wrapped up in that, how much work are you actually doing? Like, That's like right. they're not doing any new work because they're wrapped up in gossip shit. And, and that creates... And I'm seeing that be like the new step for the whole red pills. Now that all the figures 
and all their celebs are in place. Now it's like now they get their shitty tabloid and everybody eats that shit up. And they're yeah. like, that becomes a fixation instead of like, well, what's the philosophy doing now? It's like the male version of the Kardashians. Yeah, dude, exactly. <laughs> it totally is. Mm -hmm. And you're mm -hmm. like, why are we, why does this even matter? It doesn't matter, but we're interested because now we know these people and now it's kind so of interesting. Sense. So it creates that gossip bitchness in everybody. Oh, I've been yeah. getting that gag reflex going hard lately. I was like, whoa, that's the Kardashian gag going on. <laughs> well, you know, once you start chasing the algorithm, <clears throat> you know, the algorithm rewards controversy. It rewards drama. It rewards people who like talking about people. It does not reward people who like talking about big ideas. And it does not reward people who like talking about big ideas that really challenge things. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to talk about an idea that really challenges things, as in challenges everything, it's the gospel. The gospel challenges both men's and women's pride. And you mentioned earlier about um, about men speaking truth, like, and and that's the thing. Like, there, I would rather have one guy with no appreciable amount of deadlift ability who will always speak the truth, no matter the consequences, and speak the truth in love. To be clear, mm -hmm. he doesn't have to use it as a hatchet. Who'll mm -hmm. speak the truth over over a guy who is much stronger but lies, and that's mm -hmm. the thing: is once you start confronting people with the lies that they tell themselves mm -hmm. and others, they run from that. And mm -hmm. ultimately, if you're going to run from the truth, like the capital T truth, you're going to have to start running. You 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 stop being able to talk about big ideas. You run out because mm -hmm. once you cross that line, now we have to start about talking about thing that's actually true. Well, we can't do that, so let's turn to current events and then Absolutely it just right. begins as spiraling down the drain the yeah, men yeah. who were co courageous enough to speak truth exited that paradigm for something more yeah. but if you're a content creator and your entire business model is based on your personality and mm -hmm. the propagation of your angle if you have to get up in front of your say hundred thousand subscribers because you've been convicted of your sin you need to repent for the lies you've told a hundred thousand people you're going to lose your business. Yep. You built your business on your personality. And but then the thing is you could, you could even gain business. I mean, I think that that's the problem is like, gosh, I forget. I was reading a book. Maybe it was Eric Metax, but yeah, he was mm -hmm. talking about the, the power of when a good man humbles himself and admits yep. wrong. Yep. It engenders truth again, because it's yeah. like, that's what we do. So yep. maybe he'd get more followers. You know, mm -hmm. I don't know. One, well, that's, one. that's the idea is that ultimately you throw yourself onto Christ and faith and recognize that you will get something far more valuable on the other side than business. Maybe you will also get business, but what you can say for sure is what Amen. you'll get is a redeemed and purified soul that then you can build a real business on top of. Amen. But for men that are just counting the dollars, that's too much of a price to pay. And mm -hmm. ain't that, ain't that what, the, what the gospel points out as well? It's easier for a rich man, you know, to, it's really for a camel to pass the eye of a needle than a rich man to go to heaven. That's why he yeah. says that. It's like, are you really willing to give up everything you have to follow me? Roads that way. No? Mm -hmm. Okay, well, catch you later. <laughs> right. One question I've been kind yes, of pondering yes. is like we have great conversations on these deep topics, but I think most people don't want to go deep on stuff. And it's like, how do you get them to think about big questions in life? I think that's why this stuff sells so well. It's like I can handle money, muscles, and game. Like, I can go to the, I can figure that out. I don't have to think a whole lot. But a lot of people don't think the next layer deep about life. Sure. It's and, or it, it mm -hmm. usually takes like some event for them to do that or some crisis mm -hmm. they're not just sitting there in their comfortable life having you know some existential thought i think 
in most cases. Sometimes I like honestly like think it would be. I we watched the end of the world movie. Like I love those movies, like <laughs> this total apocalypse movies. But I think like if that were to happen, you know, a lot of people would be like, "Wow, I consumed so much of my time and effort in like this world," which is true. Like you know, the what they pay attention to is going to make them a lot of worldly gain. Like mm -hmm. they're actually they're very smart when you look at life in terms of like building material wealth, status, and you know worldly intelligence and climbing that ladder. They're doing everything right. Mm -hmm. Like they're paying attention to the right shit. Like you know they 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 are doing it right. Mm -hmm. But it's like that only works so long as the power is on, you know. Mm -hmm. And then once they get old and decrepit and get very lonely, and then they start to like get closer to death's door and they see their body falling apart, then they start to also like go man maybe there is something else going on here but either it's like death and age or like a certain poverty and like a pain that orients people towards you know finding that as a necessity but in today's world it's like that's often either seen as like a weakness like oh you believe in god you must be like one of the wusses like you can't handle life you know you can't Ugh. you know pay attention to the stuff you need to pay attention to you just hide behind they see that, that all the time they're you like know? churches for weak people yeah and you know what i i, I think mark I said that who did? did Karl Marx? Religion is the yeah. opiate of the masses, is what he said. Yeah, and and I see that happen all the time. Um, I used to think that, you know, to a large degree, and it's an easy out when you know that you're ignoring the unanswered questions in your own life, and you don't have answers for them. And you, and mm -hmm. the problem is, I was talking to this one guy. I remember he came to Bible study. Uh, he, it was his first day there, and the Holy Spirit led me to talk to him. And I was like, "Okay, I'm gonna go talk to this guy." And I was, and he's like, "I was like, how you doing?" He told me a little brief bio, and um, for some reason I was like, "You know, in life, if you don't answer questions," and I was talking about religion, like your your idea of God's there, because he was an atheist, and he went back, and I was like, "You know." A lot of times we're just afraid of how it's going to change our life or the hard work that we're going to have to deal with. So we don't look at them. You know, we don't look at the 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 gravity and the the breadth and depth of of the serious issues we have. We're like willfully blind. You mm -hmm. know, and when I said willfully blind to him, he kind of looked at me and I was like, "Yeah, you could be willfully blind about a lot of stuff. You can just act like something's not there. It's it's probably our greatest uh achievement as as humans <laughs> is mm -hmm. the ability to be delusional in you know a house burning down or something and just stay inside of it and um i remember how it changed is he's like i can't believe you said that you know i never thought of things that way and it's like i don't think people understand their capacity to hide from themselves mm -hmm. and like these guys are saying it takes hmm. it takes a, a humbling experience to to grab you and be like yeah you don't know what you're talking about your life can be taken from you you know you're not in charge bro you're not in charge of anything that's why i think it'd be great for I think about some of these really arrogant guys. It's like, just take a 20 milligram or a 60 milligram edible. I want you to go listen to Meshuga bleed in an isolation chamber for two hours. And let's, let's see how you see how you come out of that, bro. You're going to, you're going to be insane. Your, mm -hmm. your idea of confidence is so fickle. Like you just oh. don't know. And I think that that's most common for stupid people. Um, for like intelligent people, like some of the smartest people I know, friends growing up, they were the most unconfident in stuff because they were mm -hmm. able to think past what it was that their presumptions were. And mm -hmm. um, I respect those people because at least they can, you know, be like, yeah, I don't freaking know. And it's terrifying. And I need to do something about this or whatever it is, you know. Hi, everyone. This is just a quick heads up to let you know 
that if last year is any indication, if you're considering signing up for mentorship with me, now is a good chance to get in. Because in the depths of the winter doldrums, under a darkened, snow-filled sky, is when men start thinking about taking advantage of the downtime to make significant improvements in preparation for the return of spring and summer. Also, of course, I'm aware that the holiday season is difficult on many of you, for many reasons, and that annual pain that men live for too long with often becomes too much. That usually leads men to reach out and book up my schedule through January and February. So if you'd like to sign up for one-on-one mentorship with me, now is a great chance. I am extremely proud of both the ways the mentorship has grown in the past year and the success of my clients, former and current. They demonstrate to me that men are aware of several key things. First, that the power to change their lives begins in their own willingness to take personal responsibility for that change. Second, they know that they can't do it alone. They're humble enough to know and to admit to themselves one of the hardest and most important things a man can ever say, I need help. And third, that today, no man is going anywhere of value without Christ. I wish I could take credit for any of this, but I can't. As I often say, I don't make the rules, I just work here. And speaking of working here, I love what I do working with men to help them address their life challenges with penetrating questions, a listening ear, honest words, and encouragement to action. In fact, this is why I started the Renaissance of Men in the first place, to be an aid to men looking to make progress, sharing the wisdom and perspective I gained from my own personal story of redemption. Now I'd like to put that story into service for you, like I have for dozens of men, many of whose testimonials you can see by going to renofmen.com mentorship, and soon I'll be adding more. I want to keep this ad short because I'm sure I'm talking to a few of you who are already on the fence. I know you're out there. Take the leap. Register for a free explore call today by going to renofmen.com mentorship, and let's see what we can do together for you. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, brothers. 2024 and beyond. 2024 is waiting. I really, I always use the Lord of the Rings as a great example of different kinds of masculinity that were very focused on the Aragorn masculinity today like mm-hmm. because of movies and TV and for all different kinds of reasons. But when you actually look at the fellowship, you have Aragorn, you've got the wizard, you know, Sam. you've got Samwise, Frodo, like you have all these different images. And none of these men are looking at each other being like, I don't think you're man enough. In fact, you even have like Mary and Pippin who start off as essentially children and they become <laughs> like great heroes. And so I think there, when you say that people run for themselves, I think that's true. But I think part of it is that we're so isolated from each other that we don't need each other. So we try to become, again, laws unto ourselves or kings of our own little mountain. When I don't think men ever used to live that way. I think men lived in bigger communities and were forced to, to confront in their friends' lives death and pain and suffering. And so you couldn't run from it because in your little village, the person you know right next to you was going through it. Or you live with your grandparents in this extended family and this little like, you know, larger kind of living arrangement than this nuclear bit right now. So I think people were confronted with the reality of life much more than we are now because we can avoid it all. Like, oh, that's making me uncomfortable. Let me switch that mm-hmm. off. Oh, you know, like I've got my relatives live scattered all over the place. Like I don't ever see them go through things. Like we 
do a call once a year and hear what's going on. And if something makes us uncomfortable, we can just not return someone's phone call. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think men used to be better. Men and women used to be better at dealing with the hard things of life. But in our isolation, we can just avoid it. Distractions, social media. Yep. Every time you get a weird thing, you just like look at your phone and takes you to a different place. It doesn't even have to be a meaningful place, just different. You can That's forget right. it's like self-inflicted amnesia. It's messed up. It's definitely Satan working to destroy our conscience. Like your conscience is so valuable. I mean, we started yeah. Bible study with talking about your conscience. It's like, well, what is your conscience? Your conscience is there to, and you have to act like it's a person away from yourself. You have to like encounter it and like ask it questions and like start mm. to work it out. Be like, is this good? Why? You know, and, and sit there and think. You know, and, and train your mind on on something for longer than 10 minutes. That's why writing is so good. Like when you write something, you're forced to think about the economy of language, how that works out in a sentence structure. And the same thing is true for, for your conscience. Like it usually starts with a little feeling. You know, it's mm -hmm. like a little, it's like hearing God's voice. It's such a delicate thing. And if it, you could just pass over it in two seconds, mm -hmm. forget it even existed. But if you take, if you get good at holding on to that and then presenting it, and then your conscience, when it's unified with the Holy Spirit, you get led. Yep. You know, and, and you're actually moving ahead. And so it's like, that's what gets rid of the fear. That's what gets rid of the anxiety. That's mm -hmm. what helps you feel like a man. Um, that's what the whole idea of masculinity is. It's like, he's not fearful, has no anxiety, has the answer, you mm -hmm. know? And it's like, well, that's the way you do it. I feel mm -hmm. like um, I had a question to you because of what you just described with this isolated people thing. Do you think all these guys like the Rolo Tomasis and, uh, you know, different, you know, all the names, but sure. are they like surrogate fathers for yes. all these guys? Yes. Yes. Very, very, very much so. And that is a shame because I mean, like, okay, so, so let's give it, giving the maximum benefit of the doubt for men that grew up fatherless the absent, abusive, or abdicating fathers, right? Which is a multi-generational thing, two or three generations now, you know, this, uh, no fault divorce, all these kinds of different things play into it. But absent, abusive, or abdicating fathers, they, like, you have a lot of men that are like little ducklings that are trying to orient themselves to the first father feeling energy that they can. And so they find something on social media and it activates and they just orient themselves to that. So there's a really vital role. Jordan Peterson discovered this the hard way. That's like Jordan Peterson just started speaking truth in like 2016, 2017. And this whole wave rose up underneath him of this giant father hunger and grief mm -hmm. that he embodied this energy. And I don't think he knew what to do with it for a while. Mm -hmm. And so I think it kind of, he tried to manage it and it kind of drove him a little crazy because this, this longing that had been cultivated for so long had been consciously cultivated. And so as he begins bringing this energy up, they had to destroy him to make the energy go away. And I think they succeeded in that. Wow, really. that blew my mind. I think you're totally right yeah. about that. Do you think now they the, succeeded in that? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I think they, I mean, he, he had a couple own goals in the process, but I do think that they succeeded. And the big tell for me was when he went on Joe Rogan, I think it was summer of 2019 or 2018, something. It was a second conversation on Joe Rogan because the first one made him a big deal. And then he went on the second time after having written his book or something like that. And the New York Times had written this giant article basically slandering him because he had used the phrase, uh, he had said that in the West, we have what's called enforced monogamy. Now, what he meant by that is culturally, 
we have monogamy in the West. That's just our cultural norm. And the New York Times took that phrase and ran with it and said, what do you mean? You're going to force women to get married? Like, he didn't <laughs> say anything like that. It's like, it, and so he was baffled. He's like, I don't understand what's going on, Joe. I'm like, bro, come on, wake up. Like, do you not see like that you've woken mm -hmm. men up after years of slumber? So anyway, men go looking for this father energy. And I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that. Mm -hmm. But once these, these guys build cults of personality around it, like, no, no, you don't want to go listen to the other guy. You can only listen to me. And I'm not really your father, yeah. but I'm going to give you enough masculine energy so that you're hooked onto it. And I'm the only perspective you need to think about, but I don't even know who you are. That's and so that's where up. the dynamic gets really twisted and you get these guys that kind of break. Yeah. And, and I think there's a lot of that. So yes, but it's a really unhealthy dynamic when these guys are like, Hey, come into my club, let's hang out. But like, look, graduate when you're done. It's okay. If you leave and you go on your own journey, you don't have to stay here forever. You can like, you're welcome here. But I don't want you to feel like there are high walls. And if you leave, you're betraying the family because that's a cult. And I yeah. think this is why I call them cults of personality. So the father energy is real, but it very easily, once it turns economic, becomes cults of personality. And those become very dangerous. And we see those everywhere. People who fought. Okay. So switching the, the question now, do you think these men know that's what's happening? Some of them, I think, some of them, I think, do. And I think some of them, if you were to really push on them, they say like, I'm doing the thing that no one else can. These men have been abandoned and I'm giving them something. And then, um, and then if you were to really push on them, you would probably be get them to really see maybe in private that like, no, you're actually exploiting these guys. Yeah. Like, yep. yeah, exactly. I don't know that every man knows that, but I, I, I think another thing that Jordan Peterson did was he helped wake up a lot of quote unquote influencers to the fact that like, there is a ton of money to be made poking the father hunger wound. Yeah, a dude. Ton of money to be made, and so we saw a lot of that come up after him. You know, I uh, thinking about this in like big chunks because I love how you always can back up everything with information, history. Mm. I think a lot of conversations are really great for that purpose because it gives people the history. But like speaking on a broader context, because I think a lot of our listeners and we like know some of that stuff, and I love the speed of this conversation because we're able to kind of like gravitate or, or take over more ground. And say mm -hmm. if we had to go delineate every single reason why what we're saying is true. Um, going back to like the worldly kind of approach to masculinity and like why people love these kind of like uh, um, these cults of personality, these um, these hyper masculine, you know, um, I want to call them like like sociopaths. Maybe that's the wrong thing. Narcissist, you know, worship yeah. of self. And, um, you know, when I was young, my brother and I both, we gravitated to those types of men too. Like, um, mm -hmm. and we got burned by them yep. so bad. So, 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 so burned, man. So burned that we, we started to learn like, oh, that guy's a piece of shit actually. <laughs> but we had to learn that even though everyone told us, my mom and dad yeah. are like, dude, this guy's a piece of crap. He is absolutely. And we we're like, nah, arrogant, young, little dumbasses. Like, no, he's not going to burn me. He'll burn right. everyone else and then he'll burn people for me and it'll be great because then, you know, <laughs> I don't have to do it myself. And I see like a lot of women actually like that too. Like they wish they could have that because it's like they see protection, you know, they see like mm -hmm. this false idea of like they will, they want that, you know, and I, I'm looking back at like the garden, you know, and I'm seeing like this knowledge of good and evil and I'm seeing like that temptation to grab that fruit, you know, it really comes mm -hmm. down to that because like when you have the truth, 
And we're still tempted in the world to like have that knowledge, that control, that power that comes along with like that cult of personality and like taking on these attributes. But it's also like a lot of guys, I don't think they've been burned, you know, by a real person in their life yet. Like maybe they like signed up for, you know, this program and paid 50 bucks a month only to learn like they were talking to a 13 year old in India. I don't, you know, they, they, that's the way they got burned. Like John, I got burned in a way more massive way, but I mean, they start to figure that out. But I was like, how do we get a, how do we get around that? You know, because there's no way of glamorizing. A lot of the guys that sell the truth aren't selling it and they have the smallest platforms and they're like, no one likes them. I mean, it's like, it's trying to be like, you know, I, I don't know. Trying to it's get somebody to crave insult. broccoli. I, I love you, Mike. <laughs> it's a human nature thing. Mike's you like, they will all die. Slow death. Well, it's like, yeah, how, do you, how do you tell a 19-year-old boy or kid, guy who's looking at, like, Andrew Tate or, like, I don't know, some average Christian? Like, what? why would that guy not choose the Andrew Tate, Tate path? Yeah, prodigal son, baby. And you gotta then, go spend like, some time in some like pig shit, bro. I mean, if he's not Christian, he has no reason not to at least go down that path. Um, and then you could you could preach to him all day long. Andrew Tate could even later in his years be like, you know what, bro? It's not fulfilling. Mm. You're gonna be like unfulfilled in the end, and he's gonna be like, I'll just I'll give it a try and let you know if yeah. I'm unfulfilled. <laughs> so it's like it's totally eating the fruit. It's like I will I'll try the fruit if I I'm gonna learn the the evil side uh and it'll be you know my own life to live yeah but like how do you how do you communicate to some 19 i mean you got to do the same thing with the women when they're young and obviously we're losing that battle left and right and i don't know if there's mm-hmm. an to that i think i think the only answer to the question um from a human perspective because ultimately it's a god's sovereign grace perspective like how do you prevent a young guy if a guy is looking at the choice between like Christianity or Andrew Tate, right? Like God, God has ultimately the say about that. So setting that aside, like for us as individual men that don't have that, that perspective, I really think that the only answer, and I think some of the, some of the comments coming in are are hitting on it is that is what we started out the conversation. Like, how do we bring masculinity back into the church? How do, how do men, you know, who are like us, right? Who care about the gym, who care about nutrition, who care about aesthetics, who care about embodying truth, not just like reading the truth and knowing the truth and preaching the truth, but embodying it. How do we begin showing up inside our communities and churches and let our presence disrupt the environment? That doesn't mean we go in and start sowing division. That would be the wrong thing to do. But like once masculine men start showing up and start saying like, hey, we're here and we have a mastery of the word and we need to start evangelizing in a new way to these boys that are going to be following these Mm pipe pipers and you start running up within the feminist power structure within churches, mm-hmm. that's where I think these explosions are going to come from. It's like churches will have to make a choice. Like these guys are super capable. They can really bless our infrastructure. They can really bless a lot of people yeah. and provide structure and bones, but like the women don't like them. What are we going to do? It's like, well, there are men to be reached. And you know, you have the book Masculine Christianity by Zach Garris, and you kind of know that we need to cultivate the men are the churches really prepared to pay the cost for what it track what it means to attract men away from the Jordan Petersons? Like there was a moment a couple of years ago where people where churches were like, why is Jordan Peterson for his Genesis lectures, which were psychologizing the book of Genesis, like they're brilliant, but like it's ultimately not treating it like the word of God, but like a myth. 
but why is Jordan Peterson attracting all these young men when these churches have absolutely failed in it? Mm -hmm. And so I think that's the question that churches are still asking. And the answer in many cases, because, well, we don't actually want to pay the cost for what it takes to have men be in our church. We want masculine men, but like we want them for free and like masculine men step on toes. That's what we do. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think churches will have to be brave and begin paying that cost or new churches will have to be started. It's unclear which, but that's, that's the answer. Awesome. I think like we talk about that wall for women at like 30 red pill concept. They get ran through. I mean like 22 now, well, like yeah, depending right on which now. red pill guy you talk He's to. He's not sure. going back. 14 years old hit the wall but uh <laughs> it's like i think that this same concept it comes to bear it's like it's the whole idea of reaping what you sow you know in this masculinity manosphere red pill it's gonna bear some fruit and after a while these men are gonna reach a wall where they're yep. sick of the gossip sick of it and yep. like you said instead of explode it's gonna implode mm. and hopefully all that energy goes into the church and explodes the church i think that the church in the west is mm. narcotic because it's afraid of confrontation it's yes. afraid of self-persecution it's afraid pain mm -hmm. and pain ultimately is a that's what we're set up with bro you got to deal with the pain of life and you have to look at the pain and ask god why is it here and do it until you're dead that's what we're signing up for mm -hmm. and Ultimately, if we can show through our own action that confrontation is a benefit to the church, then we're going to be able to have tough discussions and have them be normal. You know, have like the disciples, 12 of them hanging out. There was a bunch of bickering and squabbling and they were sleeping next to like it was you guys got to get the right picture here. It wasn't like they were pouring each other tea and sharing crumpets every day. Like mm -hmm. they were rejoicing, but they were working hard, dealing and putting up with one another. And like Francis Chan says, church is messy. And I think one of the things that has to happen is church needs to be, get smaller and resemble a family so that mm -hmm. people can get intimate and be re accountable so that they don't get that false sense of like a mega church, like that inclusivity thing and that mimesis where they're all copying each other. And it's just like, just fickle, superficial piety garbage. And I'm not, I feel horrible because I love them and I'm not trying to judge them. I'm just saying there's so much more to what mm -hmm. church can be. But it requires a deeper sense of devotion, a deeper sense of commitment to what you're saying God's word is. I think that's why Jordan Peterson was so attractive because he was reading that word of God in a way that was not just, uh, he was saying there was value in it even if you didn't believe it which mm -hmm. for a lot of people were like, oh my God, I never thought of it from that perspective. It's like, yeah, I mean, your whole entire common law is based, your whole life is based off of the Bible. And that blew everyone's mind because they honestly had this, I, they didn't know, they didn't know. And so, yeah, I think there's a lot we don't know in the church and in, in the form of, of masculinity and how much it has to offer when the leader is actually leading. Mm -hmm. I mean, it sounds stupid, but that's, the basics of it leaders need to lead men need to get off their asses and do it find their backbone and handle stuff like they were born and and put into that place by god to do what do you I'm think gonna, the new yeah let me pause us mm. and hit these super chats yeah rusty's mm. being boss 
leaving the super chats. Davey Rusty the buying thing. the McDonald's tonight. <laughs> they need oh to be gosh. genuinely hungry, but the question is how to make people genuinely hungry. They're sedated. So that was back to people needing to uh, or you know, apocalypse. Have, yeah, think yeah. about the apocalypse. How Hit do we the power grid, baby. Uh, <laughs> a lot of a lot of churches also sell fake truth. Yep. Read. Uh, churches can't teach Genesis because they don't know their own Bible. True. I would say agreed. But yeah, as far as like the the conversation on masculinity is cringe. I think yeah, like what we're talking about now, the church, the masculinity within the church is cringe. The church is cringe. Because, yeah. Well, yeah, in general. But, the, you know, their side of masculinity is is on the almost the opposite end of the cringe spectrum. I think some of the Orthodox churches, like, I mean. Oh, here I, we go. Uh, yeah, here we go. You know, <laughs> I mean, that's kind of where I'm going with it. You know, they and so with this explosion going on, like, I mean, I see it historically and I'm curious because, you know, history so well. Like, can we like pull any type of example from history, like maybe the besides the Reformation, you know, or like these like really tipping point where, you know, there's some type of explosion happening or implosion and like where the where what what do you see the church like becoming? Do you see anything like given the circumstances and the context? It's like, man, I see like churches being like small house groups or like, do you see what do you see going on? Where did, Where is the church going? Well, I, I mean, I really, I, I don't, I, I think the American evangelical churches exploding um, in the course of 2024 to 2025 is unavoidable. I mean, I, I think that you're going to see, uh, because you have people listening to podcasts, not necessarily ours, but content like ours, and they're going to start showing up for their, to their evangelical churches and talking to their pastors being like, hey, I read, I'm reading these books. These are faithful Christian men and pastors that are talking about this stuff. I want to hear more stuff about you know, law versus relationship. Like the American evangelical church is big on relationship with Christ, but it's not very big on God's law and God's word, right? So it's it's very it's very feminine in that way versus masculine. So you have men are like, this is what I like to see. And the pastors are like, that's far right. And the guys are like, okay, I'm leaving. I'm taking my family and I'm going. Or you may have guys who are like, who lean in, who dig in on that. Like, no, I've been a member of this church for 20 years. This is what I want to hear and really putting pressure on the pastors. And then that's going to break apart in all kinds of ways. So I think you'll see churches shrink similar to COVID. I think you'll see churches explode, like, because like the pastor will be forced to make a call like, Hey, so I'd like to introduce, you know, Janelle, she's the new shepherdess. And then, right. Because he's been coerced. Like, by the way, I think there are so many pastors in America that got caught with porn by their wives and their wives are just like holding that over their heads. Like, yeah. So like, I think you're going to see a lot of that and that's going to be really ugly, but the churches that, that survive it or that endure it or that go through it righteously and the churches that form will be so ready for the battle ahead, which is going to be significant. And so like you may, you'll have a lot of churches fall off and they'll go into various forms of, you know, light, medium and heavy apostasy, but you're going to start to see a lot of particularly Protestant evangelical Calvinist, you know, Calvinist reformed theology churches that I'd be like, let's go. And I think that's just going to happen and it'll be really exciting, but it'll be really tough to get there. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I can say that is, isn't that what we see in all of our lives? Like we all believe quote unquote blue pill kind of stuff. And then we discover the red pill and whatever subject matter and like people and things and beliefs just all fall away. And it's really ugly and it's really difficult, but we come out of it as like, wow, I made it okay, now I'm ready to get to work. And I think we're going to see that in the American evangelical church. And I think it's a necessary process. 
it's going to, people are going to laugh for a while, but like, we'll make it. I yeah, brought I up if for, we made kids grow animals and kill them, they would like have better understanding of, of life and pain. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just talking about some basic stuff. Like if you were to be a parent, like we were talking about, how do you wake people up from their narcotic stupor? Make them go without food for like four days. Don't touch your phone. Like, yeah. Like, are you masculine? Are you balls enough in your family to say to your wife and everybody, we're going on a family fast this year or this week or this month. We're doing it for three days. You know, are your, are your kids, it's like, you know what? You watch death on the screen all the time. How mm -hmm. about raise a cow and we eat it? How about you understand these concepts Man. so that you're more sensitive to truth? Because, mm -hmm. I mean, like, you were talking about these guys, right? These pastors. Their wife's got porn. He's like, if you do this, you know, she's basically Mary Antoinetting this 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 pastor. It's the same deal, except it's our own ideas of uh, our passions, our stuff is ruling our lives. It's like you need to bring some of these, I don't know, classic living back in some ways. And I don't want to sound like the guy was like, go be a survivalist and buy a bunch of farmland or whatever. That's not the point. Mm -hmm. But like we've become disconnected from that. It's like, how do you wake somebody up? That's what I keep hearing in this conversation. How do you wake? somebody up in the church you know it's like starts with the kids dude and these kids don't know shit these days man they i think no the idea. orthodox churches and like the catholics are getting like a lot of attention from some of the people in manosphere sure um because they're orthodox and they're been doing things not eh, like some of the catholics are definitely very progressive <laughs> but um you know even after the reformation there was a lot that the catholics and the orthodox kind of like took from 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 the from luther and they're like oh well you know we could learn and there was a bit of that give and take that happened you know and i'm just wondering like if that something similar is going to happen again you know where there's like a i guess like a bath water kind of going out but keeping the baby from everything that kind of worked well but i mean so many people choose churches according to like their worship team you know or like all these other reasons you know what i mean which is why i, I would I, we went to like a, a greek orthodox and i like the voices and i like the worship music a lot more than i would go into like you know these uh pop, impact or whatever yeah singing, singing love songs to like as a guy i don't know it just does not cut it for me dude not right. happening but there is an attraction to it and um i'm wondering if uh if you've encountered any of that too well, I, I've been really lucky to be exposed to the Westminster Confession of Faith recently, and to actually read that and read the Westminster Standards and to see a really scripturally rooted, robust Christianity that generated the Puritans. And so the, the Puritans who came to America, the Puritans, and they lived a very austere, you know, but very powerful and very, uh, very godly lifestyle. And you can read the book, The Valley of Vision, like it's a book of prayers. It's beautiful prayers. And you can read the writings of the Puritans and you can see how much they valued, you know, family and how much they valued community and work. And even we use the word Puritan in our, uh, in our English language to me, someone who's like really afraid of, of sex and, you know, was really cut off from pleasure and the Puritans weren't like that at all. Hmm. And so Protestantism in its, in it, the maximum positive expression of it, it, it does end up in a, in forms of Puritanism. But the problem with Puritanism is that the standard is so high, and it, it requires such sacrifices of comfort that we've become very accustomed to, right? Because you've been given the gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus, and so your life becomes a living sacrifice, and so you start giving these things up that everyone really likes. And it's like, wow, I don't really want to give this thing up. I like doing, I like doing this thing. 
versus like, okay, let me start seeing how I can cut away things that I don't need. And that's a very difficult road to walk. So you, instead, you and and in many cases, that doesn't look or feel very Christian. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the Word of God, right? But you go to the the Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox churches, and in many cases, it's not that different from some of the worst charismatic churches because in these churches, faith comes by feeling, right? Or faith comes by experiencing, or faith comes by seeing, and so it's very seductive for men. And also you get the same, there's not really any need to sacrifice or endure austerity because then you can do penance or you can do confession or you can do the liturgy. The Eastern Orthodox Church offloads men, so they have to be so austere and, and they cause themselves pain you know, to essentially try and practice the faith because it's workspace salvation as opposed to a free gift of grace. And so these churches may seem very appealing on the surface, but I don't think these churches save. And so, but on the other hand, you have Protestant churches that are truly afraid of sticking to the things that they actually believe. Like, what does the Bible actually say? We think this is the highest authority, but we don't really listen to some of this stuff about men and women and male headship. We don't really do that. Like, well, then you don't get to call yourself Christian in the way that you mean. And so, like, really, there's a bunch of really bad options. But I understand why men are attracted to the Eastern Orthodox and Roman Catholic churches, because at least they feel Christian. You walk in and you see the art and you you hear the chanting and you smell, you hear the bells and the incense, and it's like it feels holy versus I go to this this Protestant church that might be small or in someone's house and it like it sure doesn't feel churchy, right? Or even if like woke churches or fem effeminate churches, that aside. And so it's kind of a problem. But I do believe that if you had truly masculine churches, truly masculine Protestant churches who had the courage of their convictions, you would see a massive shift. But like everyone likes their American comforts. We don't want to give up our American comforts. It's like, well, then maybe you should think about that. And so it's kind of a trap that a lot of men fall into. But I, I enjoyed the Westminster Standards because they point the direction that I want to be going in. Who are more they? Westminster that. Standards. They, they're Calvinist church? Mm, yeah, Westminster Confession of Faith. I've got it around here somewhere. Oops, I've got it. It's on the shelf back there. But yeah, the Westminster Confession of Faith is just the, is this the, the most um, thorough and concise uh, encapsulation of everything that the Protestant Reformation was about. I think they were written um, in the late 1500s, early 1600s, something like that. And it's very, very powerful. It's like, here's what Protestants actually believe. And there are churches, they're called confessional churches, and they hold to the Westminster Confession of Faith or the London Baptist 1689 Confession of Faith, which is what the Baptists hold to. So that's a whole other thing. But like, this is what real faithfulness looks like for Protestants, but most people have never heard it before. Westminster Confession of Faith, what's that? And, and so this is my understanding of the direction that Protestant churches are supposed to be going in, but it's been so heavily undermined for the past 150 years. And mm. so that's a whole other topic. Well, like, I mean, we, like, yeah, yeah. That's, that's something we kind of tiptoe around is like, uh, what denomination are you? And we're kind of like, we're non-denomination because obviously you can pick a fly out of any yeah, I'll fly out of the ointment. Every single denomination is going to have something that you can point at and say, well, that was messed up or that doesn't mm -hmm. make sense. Why are they this way? And um, at the end of the day, like I, I honestly am attracted to the Eastern Orthodox tradition. Um, sure. I haven't devoted myself to it yet, but I mean, when I thought about Calvinism, I was doing the notes. I forget which part of Matthew we were in, but you know, I had to study Arminianism and Calvinism, and mm -hmm. we, deep, we deep dove on those subjects. 
And, um, you know, I found, I was like, okay, well, most of the church that I've been to is Armenian. Uh, they, they believe that, you know, anybody and everybody has fair opportunity to accept the Lord should they choose to. Mm-hmm. Um, can you describe for the listeners what Calvinism means? Because I don't think people hear it, but I don't think they actually know what it means. Mm-hmm. So Calvinism, it's not a, it's not a religion. It's a, it's, it's an encapsulation of some a basic scriptural principles. Like these are the principles that surface when you actually read scripture for what it is. And so Arminianism is essentially the idea that uh, you get to choose God, that anyone can be saved and you have to choose God. Uh, Calvinism says the opposite. Uh, God chooses you. You have nothing to do with it. God sovereignly chooses you to be saved and uh, not, it's a gift. It's a, it's a free gift of grace that he gives to some and not to others. This is the term predestination. So Calvinism is the idea that like, look, not everyone is going to be saved. God does not choose everyone. Not everyone is elect, which makes uh, Americans, our hyper-individualistic nature says like, no, I get, I get to choose. My, my volition, my free choice is the most important thing, including, uh, including and up to God. It's like, no, Calvinism is very challenging because Calvinism says, God chooses you. Why does God choose you? Because he chose you, right? Why does he not choose others? Because he's God and he gets to do that. And so it, 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 it's God's sovereignty extended right up into salvation versus us being able to choose our own salvation. It's like, no, God chooses us and we can't be, we're, we're not unchosen. We don't have the ability to be unchosen if, even if we want to. And for people who grow up in, a, in, a, in an American culture that's very much about your free choice, you know, whether it be two pre- between two presidential candidates or 50 tubes of toothpaste, we value our free will, quote unquote, as the most important thing. The idea that in the most important thing in life, salvation, we can't choose and we are chosen and there's nothing we can do about it, but, but bow the knee to an absolutely awesome and sovereign God is so deeply challenging. It's deeply, deeply challenging. And uh, some people reject it. A lot of people reject it because they, they, it, they have judgments of God about it, essentially. But I personally have found it to be so incredibly liberating. Mm. Um, I can see how it that sounds like a good another podcast because yeah, we'll 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 challenge you on it. Yeah, okay. but you know what that reminds me real quick before we get back into why masculinity sucks or what was it? <laughs> it's cringe. <laughs> the manosphere. The manosphere. That'll be, that'll be clipped. Why yeah, masculinity, masculinity sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, that kind of reminds me of when Jordan Peterson was like, "I act as if God exists." Cause it was kind of like a blow to like all those people that sort of like they didn't they don't you know it's like mm-hmm. act as if god exists i do like uh anyway i'm done yeah i mean like no if, i like if, that yeah if he really i mean yes and i'm glad he said that and if he really acted as if god existed he would stop psychologizing the old testament and he would deal with the new testament as a series of eyewitness accounts of historical events which is what it is and i think so, he's like, been there i think he's gonna be there i do you know, he's just so. Jordan. He's crazy as hell and smart as hell at the same time. But I think he's going to get there eventually. He's also surrounded by Jews at the Daily Wire that look at the Old Testament. So that's right. His wife is a Catholic. One of his yeah, best friends, Jonathan Paggio, is Orthodox. Orthodox. So he's like a young I don't Orthodox. think he'll ever become Jewish, but yeah. yeah. Um, we got a couple of super chats that we have to go through here. Oh, yeah. Christian unplugged. Whoa. Whole big Dude, yeah, he's thrown down. Quarter pounder coming in. Yeah, I I wish I could get YouTube to monetize me. Like I'm one of the most like so many uh, so many of my podcasts. My top episodes are women, 
And I guess like YouTube seems to think I'm some sort of radical or something. How is that? Get, that sucks. I have 3000 really? subscribers and like, you know, tens of thousands of hours of watch time and they will not monetize me and they what? won't say why. Yeah. That's annoying. It's super annoying. Dude, I'm, I'm sorry, sorry brother. Dude. Wow. You got to be more retarded like us, bro. All right. That's yeah, how, that's lower IQ conversation. Take it down right. a couple notches. We're talking about McDonald's double quarter pounders a couple times every episode. You'd be fine. Yeah. All right. We'll trade. I'll handle the retarded stuff, and you guys can handle the the big brain stuff. And like, it'll be good. We'll see what happens. Not gonna go. It's great. Well. It's not Connor, gonna go well on our side. But I expect maybe. to see you. Connor's appreciating stash. Tell your wife you're getting a stash. From yeah. Me. That is a lie. Yep. You're going to go butcher him. In I'm going to go and <laughs> cut him up. Cut him up. <laughs> going to peaky blind A ritual feels religious because use it gives you something to you can wrap your mind around. Yeah. That's sure. right. That's right. Yeah. Ritual and religion are two very different things, though. And they both mm -hmm. sort of dance around our five senses and ability to interpret the metaphysical and the divine and they tell stories that help us so i personally but it's easy to more. idolize either one of them i yes, think and that's that what is. we intend to do one of the great conversations we should have is why christianity is the end of religion but to We're, keep the things end focused, the end of religion the end of religion oh yeah amen christianity there's it's the end baby <laughs> but um so do we i i wanted to say to the guy out there all right like if you have any weird internet dads you know but you have a real dad and he's out there and he might be lame try and connect with his ass okay <laughs> try Just connect with him yeah don't give him a mustache <laughs> Connect with him, all right. Try to actually just you know, because you never know how these things go. And if you do, if you do have a real dad and you talk, call him once a month. That's not enough. Call him. Try and call him every week. You know, like try and get something going with because your internet daddies. Hmm. They, they, care. they care about the views you give them. They yeah. Care about you. Right. I just felt like I should say that because I feel like there's a lot of guys who need dads, and no, a lot of them already have dads. But they're just not paying attention to them. Sometimes mm -hmm. you can wake your own dad up, just like Jordan Peterson says with the Pinocchio story. Mm -hmm. You got to go find your dad in the whale. You know, mm -hmm. sometimes mm -hmm. that's true. I mean, it's, it's, I, I think that there's a generational thing where it's like there are so many aspects about masculinity that were discarded politically <laughs> over the past 60 years. Sorry. Can See, you I'm say it again? I mean, uh, no, I think I'm, that, sorry. Go ahead. No, I'm listening. Oh, but, yeah, I don't want you had a super chat come in. You wanted to read that one. Talk about how Orthodox churches have hotter chicks. Yeah. Do they? Have you? I don't, I don't do know. Chicks go to those. Yeah. Lots of them. Yeah. Yeah. We've seen it. We saw it. There's chicks there. They Probably less cameras? crazy. Mm. A lot of I those Protestant uh, chicks are pretty nutty. I, I have heard, I've heard from people who have left the Orthodox church, not as part of this recent wave, but from previous generations that. The Orthodox Church seems really appealing and until you're in it for about five years. And then what? after that, after that point, the the, the cracks. Yeah, because the Orthodox Church's big selling point is we are the original Christianity going as far back as you can go. And I, I could challenge that, but that aside. And so we're unified and we all share the same thing, et cetera, et cetera. But what I've heard, um, there's a priest, former Orthodox priest named Joshua Shooping, S-C-H-O-O-P-I-N-G. He's been on a couple podcasts. He was an Orthodox priest. He's like, look, people come into the church and they stay there for about five years. 
and then they realize that eh, the, the the marketing is not is not necessarily the truth, and so they get very disillusioned. And then there was another podcast about Eastern Orthodoxy that I listened to recently that was that did a political survey of Eastern Orthodox church members, and like yeah, like forty percent of the people in these churches are Democrats, like because a lot of young men go looking in these churches like oh it's super based and old OG Christianity. It's like no, like they're Demo- they're still Democrats and they're supporting abortion and stuff like that according to like a Pew Research poll. So I don't know how much you stock you put into it, but like it's a little bit like a grass is greener on the other side kind of situation. Oh, ultimately, yeah. 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 I so, mean, that's I, why we haven't done it. I mean, I have, we have a friend who went there, he went to the catechism, like the way they handle new believers in the veneration of the Eucharist. Like there's a lot of things I like. I'm just being honest, you know? Sure. The but, ritual uh, part is great. Yeah. I do feel refreshed by that, you know, and I mm-hmm. have my own ritual, but as far as the manosphere being, uh, and just this horrifying situation, I think, um, I think we, we need to not be preoccupied with the numbers. We need to put our yeah. hand to the plow, keep yep. pushing, and and keep knowing that it starts small, and and that's the eventually we're gonna inspire people to crave broccoli somehow. Okay, spinach yes. broccoli smoothies. <laughs> They're gonna love them. They're gonna wish they could eat hundreds of them a day. That's what I'm. That's what I'm praying for. <laughs> well, I think I think ultimately the really important thing, in addition to that, is like. You, I think you some one of one of you said like sell men on the virtues. Ultimately, I think what we all want is virtue, and that we want fitness not for itself, but I think because we recognize as a virtue. And if you get if we guide men to thinking about what virtue is and the and the feeling of this word virtue, the word virtue is like un, it's an, an untarnished word. I've got yeah. a list of untarnished words I want to do an email newsletter about, and that's, that's one beautiful. of them. And so to guide men to the virtues. But then also to recognize, like, don't make it about you. If you mm-hmm. start making your content about you and your personality and your persona, and you and you personally are the end of the conversation, rather than Jesus Christ, or rather than you know discovering what it means to be a man in general, like go on a walkabout, go explore. There's lots of different perspectives on it. They all they all find their culmination in Christ. If you position yourself as the end of the discussion, that's a very bad road to be walking down. And so I think a lot of men's egos, content creators' egos, is like, oh, I ran up the big numbers saying this controversial thing. It's all about me. And then phew, they could make a lot of money doing that, but you will fall off a cliff. But as mm. long as you're pointing men past yourself and you're maintaining a humble posture that like, hey, you're not the guy. There's one guy out there who is perfect and sinless. He's the guy. Point mm. to the guy, not you. You're, you're a guide, if nothing else. I think, that's how, I think that's how you keep your hand on the plow and in a way that's sustainable. Yeah. Yep. It's Jane R says, I think Christians need to be careful not to dismiss messages from the red pill. Knowing why men go to the manosphere is the first in the first place is important too. And yeah, that's what we're discussing is feminism in the church that turns them off and then they go look elsewhere. And that's absolutely true. Um, Education. Yeah. You know, the red pill meaning. I think Ryan Stone has a good, phrase i believe it's him he's one of the kind of smaller red pill guys basically mm-hmm. like uh what do you say grab what you need from the red pill and get out yeah like, I like don't that. sit in there and stew and waste your time like just get out like and that's why i would agree i totally would agree mm-hmm. we're uh i know we talked about kind of going like 90 minutes or so we're mm-hmm. hour and a half in is there anything else you wanted to cover i know you mentioned another topic over text i don't know if we want to go there now <laughs> 
Let's do I, it. I, 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 I got five minutes. I want. I want to shout out to all the. Is it polygyny? Poly polygyny bros. Oh, oh dude, polygyny. That's where polygyny. We're Shout out to all the polygyny bros who were talking about, you know, it's biblical bro to have multiple wives. How about this? How about this? Why don't you post a photo of your face and your family, right? And then you say, like, I've got this, guys. I think I'm going for two before you talk about multiple wives being biblical. <laughs> I'd Show me you can do one. Yeah. Mic drop. Yep. Yeah. I agree. Seriously. You handle that so well. I saw the thread <laughs> on it. Mike's like, check this out. Because like, he's like, you got to say something. I was like, Mm, we already did but he's like he's got the holy rolling he's got the holy roller going down so i mean i don't know man that's why you got to get out the red pill kind of like you know you can't stick there Start i don't, coming I don't up even crazy know crazy ideas those guys so get kind of banned from the red pill even i, I don't they're in the crazy if you're like saying like preaching biblical polygyny like i don't even know what pill that is I think it was the Mormon. It used to be the Mormon. It's part. called poison. Yeah. The, the, the Mormon <laughs> fandom, like the the only I guess they could fit in the Muslim camp. Totally, yeah. Like, you know, yeah. Oh my gosh. I don't get it, dude. It's just so weird that you know, like when you hear something so weird, you just Ooh. like shake your head and don't it's what it feels like for me when I heard that. I was like, damn it, dude. And he seems smart too. Like it's like even more confounding because it's like, yeah, he looks like a pretty smart guy and damn believes in polygyny all right <laughs> i don't i mean like i don't know like uh, i the case that they make is like it's not sinful it's like okay yes it's not explicitly forbidden by scripture okay. right but that's very different from saying from making the claim that it's encouraged or normative you can't find that solution to for a current modern yes yeah that, exactly exactly <laughs> yeah and look you can like there are prosperity gospel preachers that also cite from scripture and say like, no, like if you give money to my ministry, you will be healed. And it says so in scripture. Mm. And it's like, well, uh, hold on there. Like, are you reading all of it? Are you really paying attention to what the message is? Or are you doing something that's self-serving? And so that's why I say like, look, if you want to talk about this way, go get married and have one family. Mm. Show me that before you start telling other men that they should have more than one. Because otherwise, what are you doing? Like, if you want to say like, hey, I, 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 guys, I, I switched off the internet and I went and I got a really great paying job and I got, a, I got wife number one and we got two kids. I got wife number two and we got two kids. So I got four kids and two wives. I'm doing the biblical polygyny thing. You know, like even though one wife, we're not actually married, we kind of all live together. Like show me that you can do it. Right. And, but you can't, you literally cannot because so many men today struggle with even one wife, like the mm -hmm. amount of effort required to have one happy marriage. I'm sure you guys can Holy speak dude. to that. Yeah. Where do you find the extra hours in the day to have multiple wives? You aren't Solomon, bro. <laughs> like, Dude, Solomon not did not do it. He went down the path <laughs> of right. idol worship because of his... There's not I one thought, guy who did do it with success. Not one no. guy. I think, Name uh, one guy. I think if you want to extrapolate <laughs> biblical law, too, on that, like, we're, we are now all high priests of Christ. We know that from the New Testament. So the Old Testament biblical law was high priests had to marry virgin women. There was some big rules around that. So if you want to include all that Old Testament jargon in, in with these rules, that means you got every wife you're going to marry should be a virgin as well. Yep. And then we probably should also say the priest had to keep their beard a certain length. We'll include that in on it. So yeah. if you're cutting your beard, you're also wrong. I mean, like and if, you have to treat them exactly equal as it states in Exodus. 
Like, mm-hmm. are you doing that, bro? I mean, if you want to go down to Psychoville, you could actually make a case that we should have slaves. Still, you could like try and do that, and it might work because there's there's no real like you can't have slaves in the Bible. Oh yeah, even in you know well, Paul talks about honoring your master and all yeah. that stuff in the New Testament. Well, where you can be it's like, like we have to appreciate the Bible was working around certain cultural things. Well, um, slavery, slavery in biblical times was very different. So slavery in biblical yeah. times was like if your land got conquered, you know, in in an invasion, you became a slave because they didn't kick you out of your land, but like they didn't give you jobs because they didn't have a middle cu- middle class lifestyle like we do now. You were essentially working off your servitude. You could go into slavery to pay off debt. It wasn't man stealing where someone came and like snatched you up and went and sold you elsewhere. Yeah, that's so what like we what do Paul, nowadays. That's and that was the, like chattel slavery is what that's called. That's. <laughs> That was not allowed. That was explicitly forbidden by scripture. But Paul is talking about something very different. Yeah. I think uh, what JR is referring to, Will, is that reel where you were throwing down with the single Christian ladies. <laughs> what is he oh, saying? So throwing down. Like, oh, her. Yes, that was great. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I want to hear Will's comment on the Look, recent Freddy Ed with Nicoletta. There was nothing Christian about that reel except for second two or the second screen where it says christian that's the only like it says the word christian on that and not one frame and then it's like secular worldly living and so that's my thing it's like okay you want to put some sort of like christian sounding message in there and that's the tech that's what you're telling me but what you're showing me is something very different and so it's Mm. like look own that you're living a worldly lifestyle but don't call it christian right like just own it and that's the thing is they want to have it both ways they want to live a worldly life and call it Christian. It's like, well, no, you pick one. If you want to live a Christian life, live a Christian life and prepare for Christian marriage. But don't go out there gallivanting around the world with your bestie being like, I'm just waiting for the man to show up. It's like, no, you actually become a, you kind of become the woman that the man you would want to marry would want to marry. And that's the same advice that I give to men. Become the kind of man, the woman that you would want to marry would want to marry. That's Doug Wilson. And what I say to women is the same. And when I say that to women, become the kind of woman, the man you would want to marry would want to marry. Imagine the kind of man you want to marry mm-hmm. and become what he wants. Women get really mad when I say yeah. that. They get really yeah. mad. To, uh, to give more context to that reel, there's a trend on TikTok and, I, and Instagram of women, single women basically saying how great their life is <laughs> with all these photos of traveling the world and blah, 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 and how they're single, no kids, and how great mm-hmm. it is. And now these Christian women are jumping on the same bandwagon, yes, doing the exact same thing. And Mm -hmm. it's like I don't know why. Like I was just like, young Christian women don't look at these and take any advice from them. Yeah, it's like performance art. That's what we're so we're like crackheads for performance. Giant cope. That's all it is. Not happy with their life, and so they're having to cope their way through it by Instagram reels and trips to uh, Tahiti. Yeah, but everyone's so good at being a salesman these days. They have cope and then to be like my shit so great look at me right meanwhile we're over here like why don't you try doing well i'm not that great and i act fast and i don't make a bunch of money and yeah dude buy this it's so yeah broccoli broccoli milkshakes dude dude. get on this train yeah but the problem (laughs) is you know what i (laughs) but you're so good looking (laughs) you know what i mean it's like it helps you know that's why i go back to like Okay, so there. Jordan Peterson wrote the book Ordinary, or not? He, he's in his syllabus is Ordinary Men. Read read mm-hmm. this book, and um, it shows men 
that their idea of themselves, kind of like this, what you guys are talking about, these women, they want to present a superficial idea of themselves to help distract themselves from the horrifying life that they're actually living. Yeah. Um, is we want to constantly wake ourselves up to the fact that we don't know how we're going to react when we're being challenged. Like in that book, mm -hmm. Ordinary Men, you have all these guys who are freaking normal guys, and then they are turned into hardened killers of innocent people in like the span of three months. Do you think you'd act any different? You say no, but you don't know. You probably would yeah. be blowing the backs of heads out of Jews, kids, and women. Probably. That's just what the odds say. And so that's why I, I think that like, if I was to take some of these younger guys and make them wake up, I'd like make them kill a chicken or feed some pigs. Do this for like two weeks and fast every two days. And you'll realize what a big fat wussy you actually are. You can't handle the smell. You can't handle these kind of basic things. Your masculinity is in the trash. You have like this very crappy, like Hollywood idea of masculinity. You can't even handle the smallest thing. And these women, it's the same thing. It's the currency of attention, performance mm -hmm. art. It's all garbage. Yeah. You know, and that's why you got to get off these things, man. If you want to be able to see a change in your brain, it's actually being wired by the algorithm. You are being wired and animated. Your animated, animating spirit is that. Yeah. You know, I think it's like not authentic, bro. David Goggins worked. lives in a permanent, like uh rite of passage, like every day. He's <laughs> like, this is another painful. But the idea is, is like if you write a passage isn't novel in some way, you're just approaching that pain uh, more confidently. Like the gym, like, you know, like if you don't go to the gym for a couple of weeks, you remember just how hard it is to get through like a really hard training session. But if you're going there every day, it's like it starts to become, yes, it's a challenge, but you start to understand it and know it and appreciate it. But I, we've thought a lot about rites of passage and even like mm -hmm. guys that come to group, they just open up the door, you know, they eat some bagels and some sausages and they're like, eh, I'm going to sit around, dude. And I'm like, you know, I talked about John, like, like maybe we should just fill up some, you know, some, some, you know, bags full of soap bars and like beat them out back a little bit <laughs> before they're allowed to like come into the Iron Disciples. Cause like a lot of these, like this entitledness and like this lack of like, you know, initiation, this rite of passage, like. Men crave it, people want it, but like they don't know where to get it and how it like validates through like Christ's suffering and like to suffer with Christ is to be like Christ and like what that means and it's like distinction within your life. Like it's not just because people be like, all right, now I'm just gonna everyone's gonna start beating each other with soap bars now. And like that's not the answer. Um, mm -hmm. and getting guys around that is tough, like because you kind of like get them to taste it, but then they have to build that yeah. that identity within the body of Christ. It's like, where do you fall in line with that? How are you going to suffer? How are you going to, you know, do this in your line of walk within the church? And it's like that concept is very tough. And it's like I, you do kind of need some broad base kind of like initiation phase. Yeah, but then dude. they have to like, you know, get out of that themselves. And it has to be respected by the other body parts of like, yeah, that's the way that he has to do it. But in respect to what I have to do, I'm not going to do the same thing, but we can share. It's like we're that that symbiotic relationship. But also under the Christ and the Godhead, and it's just such a just a, a a a tough thing to conceptualize and to put into practice and agency within the church. And um, I would just love to see that more, you know, and the guys revel and appreciate others within whatever that means, and making that something of like when you read a badass biography of like some guy, you know, I love historical biographies, but. 
they all went through some type of brutal suffering, sacrifice, and it was always different for each one of them. It wasn't the same, but this, the hero's journey tended to be very similar throughout it. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, as a church, getting guys to understand that within each other and respecting like each other's strengths and weaknesses is like, it's a tough, it's a, I don't know how to do it, Will. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I know it needs to be done though. <laughs> well, I want to, I, I know we're running long, but I, there was, there was something I want to touch on that might have an answer. Uh, you know, I, I remember Jordan Peterson did say like, if it was you, you know, in, in Nazi Germany that, you know, you would be, you would be shooting people as well. I know Alexander Solzhenitsyn had said something similar. And I, I, I wonder if that's really true because Nazi Germany was not Christian. Nazi Germany was explicitly a cult pagan. It was not a Christian nation. And so Nazi Germany is used to slander every, every masculine man today. Like, oh, you're a masculine man? Are you a Nazi? Right? Hmm. Because, because they, but like they weren't Christian. Hitler hated Christ. He was, mm-hmm. very, he was very much anti-Christ. And so there's this idea that kind of floats around that says like, no, if, if you human being, you man, like if you were put into these circumstances, you would be doing these terrible things as well. And it's like, I wonder if Christians really would. I don't think that they would. I think they would say, no, you'll have to kill me first. I'm not going to, you know, because I have, a, I have an almighty God to answer to. And so like, how do you wake up the question? How do you wake up the quest for the, the dire, desire for virtue? How do you wake up someone to the desire for righteousness? How do you wake someone up to, to good and beauty and truth? Um, assuming that you can, the only way to really do it is to build a life that people find admirable that they want and say, how did you build how did how did you build this incredible life with this wife and these happy kids? Well, I built it on Christ. I was a I was a sinner, and I thought you know I was living this life, and God turned changed my heart, and now you know we don't have a lot of stuff, but we're happy, and we we all love each other. And sorry, someone's people are making noise outside my door, but like we love each other, and it's a beautiful thing. It's like, well, can I get that too? It's like yes, you can. How? But how do you how do you get that? over the flashiness of the Tate and the Bugatti and the money and all that stuff. I mean, the only answer is emotion is people have to be made to feel the warmth of the connection and the meaning of family. And mm-hmm. I think ultimately people are hungry for that, but maybe this is where vulnerability and in, in men and families really does become important is that you show like, no, this is how connected we all are. We have something today that none of us grew up with that my wife and I didn't grow up with. And there are many hurting young boys out there like, can I get that too? It's like, yes, but it's this way through the gospel. It's not that way, mm-hmm. you know, through, through the, the Bugatti dealership, let's say. And maybe that's the only way to do it is to become the living examples of the, of the things that we want people to aspire to. That's and how I don't know, church Adam fathers did it. That's how the disciples did it. There was like, you know, what, a very tiny, like the tiniest amount of people you could imagine with the most amount of persecution and they persisted and God works through them. I mean, ultimately truth is the most attractive thing. And if you're exemplifying that with a beautiful family and devotion and commitment to Christ and your life at the end of the day, when they look at theirs and they look at yours, they know that there's God missing from theirs. That's the ultimate testimony. But I would also echo something our good friend, David Gornoski said, because we asked him, we're like, Hey dude, what would you do differently if you could relive your whole life? It was like a dumb dude question. And he's like, you know what I would do? I would learn, I would t- learn about mimesis, Rene Drenard's mimesis when I was in my team. Oh, and, uh, whoa. and I was like, dude, that's actually a really, I, th- I think Satan really wants us to forget that the reason why Adam ate the fruit was because he was copying Eve. 
Mm-hmm. You know, we we copy things that suck all the time. And if we understood the mimetic, that's Excellent. really the kind of human condition is we are we are we are sort of attracted to things that are that are bad for us and we know right. it and we continue to do it. And so if we would master the mimesis in our life at an early age and understand that yeah, we're credibly attracted to the herd. We're very, very impressionable. We have these, you know, inclinations that are biological within us that we have to master in order to stand in our anointing, our unique anointing, and to discover what that actually is and be ourselves in this uniqueness, not an inclusivity. It's better than that. It's the fact that you are made to do something with your brothers and sisters at a young age to actually understand that, be able to be like, yeah, I reject that. That's just me wanting to be like something that looks okay, but I need to find out what God has made me to authentically be and Mm -hmm. to train that into young men and women so that they are led by Christ and not led by this mimetic response mechanism that we're meant to overcome, which ultimately is carnality. That's your carnal battle, you know? And, uh, so that's what I would, I mean, in in addition to like all that stuff, like that's the most masculine thing. Ultimately, you're called to die to yourself. That means yep. deny stuff. That means say, I'm not going to be mimetically inclined. I'm not going to mime the world. I'm not doing that. Goodbye. Mm-hmm. Cut it off. Burn it in the fire. Every day. Over and over and over again. You know? So, Amen. Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to set us, I'm going to, I'm going to say this. I'm going to set this up for the next conversation. Yeah. Which we can. Okay. So the question was, we wanted to talk about Arminianism versus Calvinism. Mm. We choose God or God chooses us operating within the framework that we choose God. We are, we as men are obligated to try and beat virtue into as many men as possible because it's all on us. (laughs) But right. But if God chooses us, then we are freed from having to beat that virtue into men and we can expose men to the gospel and know that God will move through them in his own sovereign way and call them to virtue outside of our individual efforts. So we'll, we can I like discuss that. it. That's yeah. profound, by the exactly. way. Mm-hmm. I've always believed that because mm-hmm. I've never been a Bible thumper. I haven't seen any Bible thumpers really get much done. It's, uh, I mean, truthfully done. I, that's right. not, it just ends up being more the cult of personality. How do we sell this? How do we just be? And then it's like, you're not really getting a true. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not going to judge Billy Graham. Dude did some pretty great stuff, but uh, there are evangelist guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they are. Well, yeah, let's do that. I'm excited for yeah. that. I know I got a lot to learn. I, I went through a dark hole with that study once before, mm-hmm. so I know you you probably know a lot about it. I'm excited. Me too. I've, I've heard that people have some dark experiences with Calvinism, and I haven't experienced that, but I can understand how some people might. I'll tell you how it was dark for me. Yeah, it was definitely, it made things dark for a minute for me, mm-hmm. and just a way of you know understanding the character of God sort of thing, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, God's wrath is a real thing to consider, but we can talk oh, about yeah. that for sure. Thank God. Yeah, once you go into like, you know, look look at the uh, the evil going on in the world and get like a fine, you start to like enjoy the idea of hell just a little bit. You're like, yeah. Amen. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, no, Brings me God. comfort. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think uh, call it a day, guys. Next, we don't have a plan next week. I got probably end up maybe taking the year off. We'll see. Okay. The uh, year? Or the until the new year. Oh, oh year, say, boys. You like before we out. You like cows. <laughs> we have a we already we have a couple guests lined up in January. They're great though. We'll probably do Bible notes next week. So okay. uh Will, what do you got going on? 
Um, let's say I got some big podcast guests coming up that I'm working on. Um, I'm really proud of my mentorship, my one-on-one -on -one men's mentorship. You can go to renofmen.com slash mentorship to learn more. I've had got a lot of great clients come through. We've had amazing experiences. I have my men's group, The Council, which is growing, which is a Christian men's accountability group. And it's really exciting to see Christian brothers be pouring into each other and then yes. have it be very, very faith-centric. So you guys do a, a Bible study component to what you're doing, which I praise God and is wonderful. And so I'm, it's grateful to, I'm grateful to see Christian men banded together to find in each other what they, in many cases, haven't been able to find in our churches. And so like more of this. So rentofmen.com slash mentorship and rentofmen.com slash council and at rentofmen everywhere for more. Amen. Awesome. Check Will out, especially if you've had any like encounters in the new age. This is your dude. This yeah. is your dude that you want to go to if you've been through the new age and um, you're thinking about Christianity. Will is the guy. He will Hit me up. karate chop and give you every reason and historically foundation and with truth and mm -hmm. dismantle that amor amorphous pile of garbage for you in the most loving way possible. Yes. yes. Thank you, brother. And guys, like the video, leave us a comment. We always forget till the end on this uh, and help us with the Google algorithm. Jump on both of our channels. Do the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's Amen. a future help. Comment yeah. masculinity sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag. All right. <laughs> Until next time. See you. Love you, yeah. Will. Love you guys. Appreciate you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance of Men podcast. Visit us on the web at renofmen.com or on your favorite social media platform at Ren of Men. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance.